a little bit. Um, as always, the week recorded us live. plenty of things to talk about, and so we may have more things than we can keep up. And we are talking about maybe doing a two-hour show. Um, my good buddy and co-host Joe is uh, kind of pumping me in that direction, so we'll see what happens. We may start doing that. We do have a new call-in number tonight. We're on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, and it is 1-855-355-1955. Evidently, the old company tried to jack the prices through the roof, and Frank, our producer and owner, was smart enough to move on down the line. One of the things I wanted to start the show with today is a lot of times people become friends with the doctor, especially in my case. Most of my patients are part of my family. That's how I was lucky enough to meet Joe Lawrence and his wonderful family, and we became friends. But unfortunately for you being the doctor, you have to draw the line on some things you just shouldn't be doing, especially because of the HIPAA rules, which are basically the privacy rules for the patient that the government has established so we don't make any mistakes and put their business out there. And unfortunately, recently, a very good friend of mine uh, got offended, and uh, I had been trying to tell him for a long time to stop texting me on my cell phone because I didn't use it for the office anyway, and I just check it at lunch and after work. But also, it's a privacy issue, HIPAA violation, and you can't verify the security of somebody texting you on a cell phone. And also, it's just it's just unprofessional. Well, I had mentioned it several times to this friend of mine not to do it, and one of the times I said, uh, you know, I don't use my cell phone for the office, so, you know, please don't text me. And his response was, yeah, but I do laugh out loud. And you can't do that. I mean, yeah, we're friends, but the government's got some pretty tough rules when it comes to health care, and privacy is one of them. And you can't, unless you can prove that that cell phone is safe and there's no way anybody can see your patient's information, you can't do that. I had people that were sending me medical information and, and asking medical questions on Facebook message or messenger and that's out there for everybody to see. I can't go there. So what I would do is I would tell them, please just call me on the office phone. And by the way, the office phone is 832-220-6163. And also I think Joe, uh, he's kind of been a, become our man on the street. And so I think he's going to have a way for you to contact him with questions and concerns, and then he'll bring them to the show. So I think he'll have an address maybe for you today. Uh, he was going to work on that. We'll we'll see. Uh, one of the things that came up this week um, was on antibiotics. And one of the comments that was made to me was, can I wean myself off my antibiotics and start doing your stuff, Doc? Well, one of the big things is the antibiotics are causing you a lot of problems. So the idea of weaning yourself off of something that is bad for you, uh, this in this case, antibiotics don't have any kind of uh, like cigarettes or hard drugs that makes it hard to let go. 
but the person was worried because they had been convinced that the antibiotics were helping with this pain issue. And I tried to explain that the longer you take them, the worse things get. And I just wanted to read real quick. Uh, this is from a uh, a company called Spectrocell Laboratories, and they are a neutral uh, company that just checks things, and they, they run a laboratory. But they did some testing, and they put out a paper called Do Your Prescriptions uh, that you take deplete your nutritional status. And under antibiotics, and they listed a whole bunch of them, but it just depends. I mean, they all fall in the same category, but you may have a newer version than when this was printed. But one of the first things that taking take antibiotics, antibiotics. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, uh, I'm hearing I'm something. Hearing something. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, uh, uh one of the first things that happens is they take away your B vitamins, vitamin K, calcium, magnesium, iron, vitamin B6, which is very important for nerve integrity, and zinc. Uh, potential health problems with taking the antibiotics. Short-term depletion effects are, are uh, minimal, but failure to re-inoculate the GI tract with beneficial bacteria will result in dysbiosis, gas, bloating, decreased digestion absorption, uh, nutrients don't get absorbed where they should and break down properly, uh, osteoporosis, heart and blood pressure irregularities, tooth decay, cardiovascular problems, asthma, osteoporosis, cramps, PMS, slow wound healing, fatigue, anemia, depression, sleep disturbance, Increased cardiovascular disease risk, weak immunity, wound healing, sense of smell and taste, and sexual dysfunction. Now, if you didn't hear anything else out there, everybody, sexual dysfunction from taking antibiotics. Does that sound like a road you want to go down? Uh, one of the other things, and we're going to go check with Joe here in just a minute, is unless you're a, a medical doctor or a DO who writes prescriptions, um, you're not allowed to say that you can treat anything. You can't say that we we can do anything for anything. You can't claim that you can cure anything. So what we have to always tell people is uh, one of my specialties is applied clinical nutrition, and and there are many nutritional things we can do to try to help you with whatever condition you have but we're not allowed to say we can cure anything. So obviously I just see a lot of miracles and uh, I've been blessed that way uh, because we can't cure anything and we're not allowed to say we can even treat anything. We, we can't do any of that if you're not the, the pharmaceutical tied doctor. So anyway, I wanted to uh, check in with Joe. Joe, are you there? Yeah, Dave, I'm over here. Can you hear me? Okay, sir. You sound good. How are you doing today? And anything uh, come up as our man on the town out there this week? Oh, yeah, a lot of stuff. You know, I'm always talking to people. But that last little bit you finished up with, you know, you're not allowed to uh, say, you know, you can heal people. And I got to thinking because I used to work with um, – you know, the people like Benny Hinn and stuff like that and uh, the miracle healers, and they had their show, and they'd come up and boom, knock them down. Now – now I won't comment on that, but I had a firsthand some firsthand experiences with that. But yeah, you talked about the antibiotics and uh, some of the side effects of that. 
Now, is it too late? I mean, is it something that, uh, you know, once you've taken it for a long time, obviously it's your, your body's used to it, but I mean, you got to get off of it. So what am I missing there? I need to uh, probably talk to somebody about that or somebody I know anyway that has a problem with that because that was one of the issues that came up when I was talking to somebody. Well, you, you, if you uh, almost never, unless maybe in the emergency room, if they think it'll save your life, do you need an antibiotic? We have too many wonderful tools that work fabulous and do a good job of beating viruses, bacteria, funguses. It doesn't matter. The problem is, on the pharmaceutical side of the world, they are taught antibiotic, 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 and that's why they're, even in flu shots, there are an antibiotic to fight a virus, which makes no sense, but they just put them in everything. Um, many medications that you look up that have nothing to do with, you would think, fighting an infection, they'll stick an antibiotic in there. But if somebody's doing one, uh, in this case, the patient I talked to this week, was doing it regular, nonstop, because they couldn't deal with this particular infection, uh, and they thought it was causing the pain. So by taking this antibiotic, they thought that would do something. And that's kind of like driving around with the emergency brake on. Mm. I mean, you're never getting anywhere. You're not yeah. fixing anything. So if you run into that, Joe, my advice to them is, I wouldn't be taking the antibiotics in the first place. I'd find somebody like me who can't say he can treat anything, and he certainly can't cure anything, but you may get lucky, and we may just find one of those miracles. Hmm. All right. Well, I uh, recommend he give you a call during normal business hours at the office and uh, and follow up on that because uh, he's got a couple of things, uh, you know, bad back, uh, semi-arthritic, and I think some of it has been from taking a lot of these antibiotics that, you know, he goes to the traditional medicine and gets. But now you also touched on some of the side effects from other things. And as another question I had, and if you don't mind me jumping to it, some of these things that, you know, you see advertised, uh, you know, what, what's one that, uh, you know, miracle brain uh, healing drug or something. You can think like Einstein or something like that. You know, one of those where they're just selling a drug. And, I, you know, I stray away from that. I immediately see it as a synthetic, and that's not going to work. What's your take on that, Doc? I mean, a lot of these things are out there. You see a lot more than I do. So what do you recommend? or not recommend, I should say, people staying away from them completely and, and trying some uh, natural natural yeah. supplements instead. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, some of that stuff you mentioned, they're pushing off like it's natural. Um, but what most of the time what you're seeing is it's just a salesperson trying to sell something. And, and you got to remember out there, everybody, if you can get one million people to buy whatever latest piece of whatever you're putting out, you're a millionaire. It doesn't matter if it works or not. If you can get them to try it one time, and the Internet is full of that. I, I get emails from people all the time. What do you think about this? How come everybody isn't doing this? Um, it, it's it's, it's mind-boggling. People are so desperate looking for something that they pay attention to that. And you can always tell if you click on those emails, it'll take you to a thing that says, turn up your speakers. And then they start, I was just like you. And then if you try to exit, it tells you, are you sure you want to leave our page? Because after two days of talking, we're going to try to sell you something. 
mm-hmm. and they've always got an edge and a gimmick, but it's usually a bunch of crap. If, if you're worried about the brain, one of the greatest things out there is Macoba Complex uh, from MediHerb, which is uh, affiliated with Standard Process, and it is a wonderful thing. So uh, it's it's kind of like what we use for the hyperactive kid. Uh, it's uh, just a good brain food, and it helps with memory. So Bacoba Complex, if anybody's interested, they can always call me at the office, 832-220-6163. And again, uh, I'd like to sh- give a quick shout-out, Joe. We had a caller from Indiana, awesome. uh, Trish, and her husband, Joe. And uh, they say they listen to the show regularly, and I told them that was really wonderful. Thanks a yeah. lot. Thank and you. Uh, they had some health questions that we're going to get to help them with, and so I'm really excited about that. It, ladies and gentlemen, that's why we're here. This is It's so exciting to be allowed to be part of your health care and, and to get a chance to help you when things have failed and you've tried stuff and you're scared and and you feel like, you know, I don't know what to do next. And some some of these things are embarrassing to talk about. And you just need some crazy doctor like me that doesn't know how to give up. We're going to fight like hell, and we're going to help you win. Hey, I did have a quick question from the chat room, Dave. Just popped in. Uh, they read that pharma, uh, pharma antibiotics can cause sudden death. Is that true? Have you heard uh, that? You know, there's probably a lot of cases where that's happened, and they didn't list it that way i'm sure but yeah uh, and that's one of those things where they would say well we don't know what happened but when when you put an antibiotic into people you can shut the kidneys down and sometimes the body will go into a coma when that happens Uh, i had a very good friend a few years ago who was 78 years old and uh, we had gotten him doing some wonderful things he was playing golf he won in the in his age bracket, a few tournaments. And uh, something happened where he got a chest cold or something, and one night he was having trouble breathing, so they, in the panic, rushed him to the hospital, and they put him in the hospital, and they hooked up that IV to the antibiotics. And we had been working on his kidneys because they had been beat up from the medications already. And they put him on that heavy dose with an IV, and within about a day, his kidney shut down. He went into a coma. And while he was there, they just conveniently decided to do a quadruple bypass, which was absolutely unnecessary in my opinion. And he never, ever came home. And it was very sad. So, yes, that's one way, shutting down the kidneys, causing a coma, shutting the body down. Um you know, a lot of times those guys are just doing what they're taught. And unfortunately, I'm glad that uh, I was taught differently. But unfortunate for those that don't know the kind of things we were taught, uh, they do what they can. And um, sometimes they probably don't even realize that the antibiotics caused what they did. Hmm. One observation I've made on my side of town, we've had three new hospitals uh, go up here in matter of six, seven years uh, since I've, you know, been in the area. Uh, anything going on that we need to be aware of, Dave? I mean, there seems to be one popping up on almost every major intersection around town. Have you noticed that on your side of town or other people oh, yeah. talk to people across the country? Have they noticed a, an, a, an increase in the number of new hospitals? Yeah, it's a great business. And uh, 
with the with the Obamacare dying, I guess a lot of them are seeing it as a good investment to get back into it. But you got to remember, when those hospitals go up, there's a lot of rooms that have to be filled to pay the bills, and they've got to fill them operating rooms to pay the bills, and they've got to fill um, the waiting rooms with people wanting to get in there. And so surgeons in that case, almost become like car salesmen. They've got to convince you to let them admit you and do these things. And I think I told the story a while back, but it's it's important enough to repeat. There was a patient who had a gallbladder attack in the middle of the night, went to the emergency room. They admitted him. And I went to visit the next day, and I'm sitting in there dressed in normal clothes so you didn't know I was a doctor. And the surgeon walked in, and this is one of them newer hospitals that needs to fill them beds. And he walked into the room. He looked at the patient. He said, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'll be the surgeon removing your gallbladder. They don't get better. Uh, you need to make up your mind pretty soon. We need you to get it out of there, and there's no side effects. You don't need it. Turned around and walked out. Hmm. Didn't even give the patient a chance to ask questions or anything. Well, the patient turns to me and says, is that true? And I said, absolutely not. I said, there's many things we can try. We're not allowed to say for sure we can treat. And um, I said, um, you know, I would be glad to help you. And so the patient turned to me and said, well, what should I do? And I said, I can't tell you that. You have to make your own decision. I will help you however you wish. So the patient asked me to help. We treated the gallbladder. That was 10 years ago, and they never lost their gallbladder. And, I, and I'm really glad to say they probably don't like me a lot because I have kept a lot of people out of those hospital rooms. But in 20-something years now, if a person came to me with gallstones or gallbladder attack and I was allowed to help, they've never had it removed and had the surgery, and they've been very successful and done well. So we must be doing something right, even though we can't say we can treat or cure or do much of that. Absolutely. Well, there used to be a time in this country, way before we had corners, uh, hospitals on every corner, you know, people sought natural solutions. You know, people like you were almost on every street corner, and uh, you were helping people. And I, I think people probably felt a little bit better, and they didn't have as much uh, recurring pain. But it's interesting because Sunday we're... You're perfectly right. It's somewhere along the line, we went from the the original doctors, the the Doc Adams on Gunsmoke doctors, I love to alternative health care. And the only alternative I can think that we are is, is if you have a choice of taking horrible medications that don't belong in your body and they're man-made are going to the doctor who is going to listen and treat you with things that will help your body and assist you to fight back. So uh, somewhere along the line, and just like radio, they call radio stations alternative. And this is the original way of communication. We're not the alternative. The new guys are the alternative, and it's a bad one. So this is a good show because people are going to hear the truth to the best of our ability. If it's our opinion, we'll tell them that. And um, like in your case, 
in case nobody out there knows, Joe is a great researcher. So when he's talking about something, he's looked it up ten times every angle you can think of, and so he's chomping at the bit to tell us all that research, and he's done a lot of it. I try, Dave. I try to keep up with what's going on, and there's a flurry of information out there, definitely. So we try. We try. That reminds me, Joe. Um, some people asked me about your aquaponics, and uh, they got their salad bowls and the salad dressing and the farks out, but they want to know what's the status. Yeah, funny you mention that. Actually, I'm filling up uh, the 275 or the uh, – it's almost a 300-gallon tank. I'll just call it 300. But, uh, yeah, I've got them out on the patio, and I was actually filling them today. I'm going to wash them and uh, probably have them up and running, hopefully by the end of, uh, well, I'm not going to put myself on any deadline, but as soon as I can, definitely. As it gets warmer, now it's time to start planting and uh, looking at it. And if anybody out there is looking to plant, you know, some food for your family, this is a great way to go. Don't wait for me. And, you know, hold those, <laughs> those salad bowls might you might go hungry waiting for me, but look into it. It's something you can you can put together real quick and uh, give your family a, uh, a sustainable food source that's you know healthy, clean, no pesticides, and and uh, hopefully no GMOs. Get the heirloom seeds like we talked about a long time ago, and uh, get busy. It's it's might be a matter of life and death at some point in this life. Uh, what did you start filling them with, Joe? Well, right now I'm just uh, washing them out and making sure there's no uh, chemical residue. I've had them for a little while, and I've checked them periodically. The guy that I bought them from, he, he supplies a lot of tanks to these people, you know, to people out in this area. And he's a trusty source, nice guy, really nice guy. Um, but now I'm just cleaning them, getting them ready. It's it's a pretty big tank. I'm going to have to cut it and uh, add a little section on the top there, but it's just going to be like a little tower, straight up, straight down, and hopefully I'll be able to get a couple of those going and uh, get the farmer's market talk going like I was talking about, or at least what I was thinking about. But uh, media has been kind of keeping me busy, Dave. It's, it's been a challenge and it's, uh, it's been fun. <laughs> and I, I find myself spending a lot of time doing that, but yeah, the aquaponics is coming along. Thank you for asking. Well, yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, you'll, you'll have to forgive me because we, we tease Joe a little bit because Joe and time really aren't in the same sink. Um, if, if he had a watch, it would just be jewelry. So well, if you hear me teasing from time to time, it's it's because you don't say Joe and time on in the same sentence without snickering just a little, those of us that know him and love him. So um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, you're after we come back from break, Joe, I uh, wanted to know if you researched a little bit on the Fukushima. I saw something on, as Frank yeah. would say, Fedbook, the Facebook mm -hmm. today, saying that they detected extremely high levels of radiation. I don't know if it was real news, fake news, or what, but I was wondering if you saw that since I know you've been researching it. Yeah, well, I didn't get my information from uh, from Fedbook, but uh, I did reach out to uh, my friend Dana uh, out on the West Coast and, uh, you know, the nuclear proctologist. You know, I have three doctors in my life now, you, <laughs> Doc Green, and uh, the nuclear proctologist. It's hilarious. But go to his site and check it out. He's got a ton of pictures out there. Well, I, I'm sorry, but I don't play that. You can only have one doctor in your life, and it has to be me. I need three, though, Doc. <laughs> I probably need another one. <laughs> I'm gonna All live right. forever. <laughs> uh, well, that's good, and we'll come back after the break and pick up on all that stuff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Krupa's Natural Health Hour with my co-host Joe and our owner and producer Frank, and this is AmericanVoiceRadio.com. The call-in number is one eight five five three five five nineteen fifty five. I love fives. Thanks for doing that, Frank.
We'll see you right after this commercial break. from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com, N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different with all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added. Their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at natureslogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try.
are back. You are listening to Dr. Krupa's Natural Health Hour on AmericanVoiceRadio.com. The call-in number if you'd like to be on the air. And uh, we talked to some people this week that said they listen, but calling in, they're a little shy. We love it when you call in. It's why we're here. Uh, So if you'd like to call in, it is 1-855-355-1955. It's a brand-new phone number. And uh, I love all the fives. Five is one of my favorite numbers, so I really like it, and it's easy to remember. So we are back, though. Uh, We were just touching on Fukushima with Joe, and he checked with the mad scientist, his third doctor. Joe's been cheating on me out there in California. (laughs) What all did you have, Joe? Yeah, well, my friend Dana, he's up in the uh, Dundas Islands, which is just a few miles shy of the Alaska-Canadian border. And, you know, prior to Fukushima, you know, they had like six, almost 6,000 different species, you know, uh, in the tidal zones, right? It's below slow water. And anyway, yeah, what he's done is he's gone on his own dime and on his own, you know, money and, and, and everything about it. I mean, he's put a lot of research in it. And, you know, I mean, he's... He's being prosecuted almost for it. Uh, they've asked him to stop doing this, and you know I think he's even been arrested once. Anyway, I'm waiting for him to give me a call back. But in the meantime, go to the nuclearproctologist.org, and he's got a ton of research, ton of pictures, more than I could ever espouse here. But one of the reasons why this is so important, you know, with um, with this meltdown situation, which I've, you know, not me, but it's been called an uh, an extension level event. Um, okay, it's going to affect a lot of people. One of the problems is uh, cesium. Okay, uh, it's a radioactive isotope. Let me read this real quick because I think it is really important. It's formed as one of the more common fission products by the nuclear fission of uranium two thirty five. Well. Uh, it's one of the most problematic of the short to medium lifetime fusion products because it easily moves and spreads in nature due to the high water solubility of cesium's most common chemical pompa- compounds, which are salts. So figure that out, okay? I mean, that's going up in our in our in our jet stream. It's getting in the rain. It's all over the place. And this is what six going on seven years now since this happened. So that's why it's so critical, and and that's one of the deeper messages, I guess, is that this you know, is getting everywhere and people will be affected. And, you know, you said Facebook, yeah, they finally started talking about it, but come on, they're filtered. You know, how long did it take before that actually started? You know, they, they allowed that to get through. I don't well, know. Yeah, it might, they, yeah. Well, they, they just said it was alarming high levels. So uh, evidently, alarming. And, you know, and Frank brought this up a while back, uh, Chernobyl, they seem to have got under control a lot easier and I don't know what's going on, but I cannot believe that the world has not all offered to help because you start destroying the, the seafood life in this world, and a lot of people are going to starve because that's a lot of food for a lot of places. And plus a lot of the fish that was caught, you know, during that time before it even became a popular subject to talk about, a lot of that, you know, stuff that was canned that's sitting in your pantry right now, might be contaminated, you know, check the box or check the label on that. Yeah, that's serious, too. Well, like I said, I really hate it when you glow in the dark after eating a good fish dinner, so that's not cool at all. All right, well, on to a couple of things, Joe, that came up this week. We got asked about how to maintain muscle mass as you age. Um, one of the things I always tell people is do things to stay tone. Go on walks, swim, ride a bike, play golf without a golf cart. Uh, 
I, I always laugh because I, I like to play golf. I don't get to play much, but I'm going to start playing hopefully in this next year. Um, and if you watch the pros, you'll never see them riding a golf cart and their poor caddy does not get to use a pole cart. He has to carry those clubs, but those guys are staying pretty toned and swinging those clubs keeps you in shape. So if you're worried about muscle mass, make sure you do exercises to stay toned. Don't live at the gym. You're just wearing your body out. All, all the joggers and the weightlifters that I've ever worked on and dancers they have just wore their bodies out a long time before schedule. I, I know that some people think that you got to look a certain way, to, but it, it, that's not cool. And you know what? I tell young couples when they get married, if you're getting married because you think the way she looks and the way you look right now is going to be forever, you're not going to last very long because you're both going to change and Sometimes it's not going to be what you wanted it to change to. And, you know, you could get sick. You could have all kinds of issues come up with your health. So do exercises to stay toned. Keep your muscle mass naturally toned. Don't try to work out like a crazy person and wear your body out. It's a terrible thing to do. And uh, you'll be a lot healthier. Uh, let's see. What else did I have here? Oh, we had a question about... If if I mentioned uh, not to wear glasses any more than you have to so you can make your muscles and the eyes continue to have to work. Now, there are conditions where it's not just about the eye muscles, and so maybe you'll have to, you know, wear those glasses or contacts to help yourself a little more. But whenever possible, try not to wear them and to see if you can't make the eye muscles stronger. And I was asked... Uh, on one of our uh, uh, contacts, Joe, if hearing aid was in the same category, the person said that they were researching it, and again, it was probably Google, and, and that it said to avoid wearing your hearing aid is, is the same way, thinking like the eye muscles. Well, the problem with that is hearing has got a hammer and it's got an incus, and it's got a membrane, and but these are all little bones and things. There's no muscles, actually, uh, that you can strengthen by listening. So if you use a hearing aid because you need it, and, and I can tell, like, my left ear does not hear like my right ear from years in the Navy and working in factories and working for the railroad and shooting guns and riding motorcycles, um, the hearing's not the same. So you can do a lot of things if there's problems with hearing to help maintain it. Sometimes uh, I, I had a patient one time that could not hear, and all it was was her ears were full of earwax to the brim. I mean, solid earwax. She could not hear. Cleaned her ears out, and she could hear just fine. And so I, that sometimes is an issue. Sometimes there can be a, an, um, a middle ear infection, an inner ear infection, an outer ear infection, all the above. And that will also affect not just your hearing, but your equilibrium will be off. So if a hearing aid helps you and you've got one that doesn't embarrass you or you're afraid not, you know, you don't want to not wear it, then that's a good thing, I think, to assist your ears and hearing 
and we can do a lot of wonderful nutritional things trying to help. Again, I can't say we can treat them because they say we can't treat anything or any condition. But uh, there's things that, uh, as nutritional things that we can do to assist and aid and try to make all that a little better. And so if a hearing aid helps you, I think it's a wonderful idea. Uh, the prices are lower today. They've, they've become a lot more electronic and, and seem to really be helping a lot of people. Uh, my younger brother just told me he got two that are completely in the ear, nothing on the outside. And he said, my God, I wish I'd have done this a few years ago. He said, I could wear them 24 hours a day. They work so well. So they must have made some great improvements or he wouldn't be wearing one. So if you need one, I think that's a big difference from the eye muscles and glasses. I, I hope that helps answer that question for the, the gentleman that sent it our way. And uh, do you have anything, Joe, anybody contact you besides those other things that uh, you wanted to bring up for them? No, I, I had a quick question about uh, vision, and uh, real quick on the hearing aids, if anybody saw, uh, suffered any damage uh, or we broke your hearing aid last week, uh, to send it down to the shop for a full refund. Uh, <laughs> well, vision, I have horrible vision, Doc. I don't know if you know that or not, but without my contacts and without corrective vision, I'm legally blind. So what do you think about contacts? Because my doctor swears by them. I've Wanted to get glasses just because it's a lot easier, but, you know, I, he recommends the contacts. What is your take on that? I got the nutritional side of it down, but let me hear your thoughts on the, on the contacts because I wear those well, all the time. Well, yeah, on the nutritional side, we've got some wonderful products like Oculotrophin. We've got Iplex, which has got everything that's related. Yeah, I got those on order, actually. Yeah, I ordered those. Okay. Well, that's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, and as far as contacts, I, I think, contacts or glasses it's really a personal thing me personally i could not stick that contact in my eye so for people like you that can that's fabulous but i just couldn't do it it would drive me crazy um I, i'm lucky i i i have not had to go to glasses yet there are times where i've noticed the prints getting a little smaller and i don't know why they're printing it smaller but i know they are and um you know, sometimes I've noticed that if you can't read something very good, step outside in the daylight and you can see it perfect. So maybe maybe we're not supposed to read when it starts getting a little darker. Who knows? But in your case, Joe, you should go. That's a personal preference. Yeah, If you like glasses, some people are very self-conscious. They don't like glasses because they don't think it looks good on them. Well. Uh, in my case, it was because, you know, playing sports or surfing down at the beach, you know, you can't really work around uh, with glasses and, you know, doesn't, doesn't uh, do well in the water. But contacts, they, they seem to work. So I guess it depends also on what you're using it for, right? Yeah, and, and like I said, I think that's a personal preference. If yeah. you like contacts and it doesn't bother you to put them in your eyes and you're not having infection problems, go with it. Yeah. But I think as I get older, I want to go ahead and just get out of, you know, contacts altogether and just get a good pair of glasses and exercise my eyes and, you know, maintain them with uh, with some of the nutri nutritional stuff that you recommend. Now, I know a lot of people, and I've come to realize this, you know, people, a lot of people have issues with their vision, but like you said earlier, you know, they're, they're maybe, you know, a little nervous about talking about it or, you know, letting other people know because, well, for whatever reason, but a lot of people have vision problems. I'm, I'm really kind of uh, keen in on that. And I guess now that I am one who has vision problems, I mean, it's uh, something that affects everybody. 
like talking about it, I guess, because I know well, people yeah, have and, problems. And it's important. And, and like I said, uh, you know, we've, we're finding out a lot of people are listening, and we sure wish some of them would call in, but some of them are just shy. Yeah, and, I understand. And like I said, we want to say we want to say hello again to Trish and Joe in Indiana. It was really nice to communicate with you. We look forward to sharing in your health care and being there for you. And maybe one of these days you will call in. We'd love to have you on the air. Uh, we promise to be kind and, and uh, you know, it, we'll make it fun. We will we'll, we'll love when people call in. It's very exciting. Yeah, uh, no pressure. Know, yeah, no pressure. Uh, and, and we get people during the week that will contact us that listen, but they just don't want to call in. So I don't know how many people are listening, but we're so grateful that you're there. And like I said, we were just talking to Frank on the break, and it looks like we're going to uh, go in the direction of a two-hour show because we always have more material than time. One of the things that um, we started doing, and uh, I guess uh, we haven't got to that yet, it was uh, we're going to do the product of the week, correct, hey, Joe? Awesome. All right, let's do it. Yeah, we've got so many to talk about, Dave, and people are ready for uh, for some solutions. What do you got in the bag? What do you recommend this week? Well, I think the last one you and I talked about was Immuplex by Standard Process. Yes. And it is a wonderful product. Uh, I recommend taking a little during the week on a regular basis, and then if it's cold and flu season or if you feel something coming on, or everybody around you is getting sick, then kick it up a couple notches, as Emerald Agassi would say. And uh, it's what it's good about, it's got all the vitamins, minerals, trace minerals. Uh, it's got the highest natural vitamin C that I've seen in any product. Uh, it's got uh, some glandulars like uh, spleen and liver and thymus, thymus to stimulate the T cells to fight infection. So it is a wonderful product. It's got great things in it, all natural. It's made by standard process, and I use it a lot. And when I have some, I take it at least every day a little. And then if somebody gets sick and they call me and they have some on the shelf and they're starting to feel something coming down, I'll tell them to take two, three, or four times a day until we knock it out. And then there's some other stuff that we'll bring up on the product of the week uh, yeah. later. But that's that's a real key one to maintain your health, uh, to knock things out when they try to come your way. And uh, Immuplex is just a really, really good thing. And it's made by Standard Process. And if you have any questions, please call me at the office, 832-220-6163. Another thing we had, Joe, on our agenda was we were going to talk about medical tests. And yeah. people always want to know with me, what test do you do for this? How are you going to know if you don't do this test? Well, unfortunately for the people that make testing and that is their living, I'm not their guy. I mean, I use tests mostly for patient peace of mind. If 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 I know the patient from listening to them, that they're not going to feel comfortable no matter what we do, if they don't see some kind of a test, then I'll gladly send them for that test. But I do believe in saving their money, their waiting time at some office, and 
radiating them in any form or fashion any more than we have to. I try to prevent that. Um, initially, on the chiropractic side, we have to have x-rays, and that's to rule out stuff before we start moving everything around, and that's also what the state calls uh, the standard of care. So if you don't do that and there was a problem, the state's going to be very, very nasty. They're not nice when it comes to those kind of things. Um, and it doesn't matter, you know, what you say. If you didn't do x-rays, they're going to frown on that and make your life miserable. But there's a lot of tests. And, again, in the emergency room to save your life, figuring out what's wrong, internal bleeding, CAT scan, whatever you got to do, that's great. But most of the time, tests are just to make money for the people that do tests and an excuse to prescribe a certain prescription or to do a certain procedure. And I am not for any of that. You, you will see these so-called health fairs, and these, in my opinion, these are terrible, terrible things. Too many times people have gone into those things healthy, and got told they had high blood pressure, high cholesterol when they didn't, and put on medications. And in one case, a wonderful 80-year-old mother and grandmother uh, died before they were done with her, and she had never taken a prescription drug before that, but the health fair convinced her high blood pressure and all that. So I'm not for all those tests. You don't need all that screening. If, if, if the doctor listens to the patient, and the patient listens to their body, that's the greatest test of all because you will know if something is not right with you. Mm -hmm. and, a, and a good doctor is going to listen, and as you hear me say a lot of times on here, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And that's how the doctor should be because the patient will tell you what's happening. And have you had any experiences like that, Joe, where people – thought they needed a test or somebody tried to talk you into a test? Um, yeah, of course, uh, through my lifetime, I'm sure. Um, I know they're now, you can get them over the counter, right? You can get some of those, I guess, smaller tests. What What about those, Dave? Are those uh, even legitimate? I mean, uh, some of them you can test for, like, uh, I don't know, you can test your urine if you maybe had to go and see a doctor about something. But a lot of these tests, what I'm getting at is a lot of these tests seems like you have access to now. Is that true? Is that something you recommend? Yeah, yeah there are those little over-the-counter tests, uh, the the pregnancy test, and then sometimes if somebody's going for a job interview and they're nervous about what drugs they might have taken before that and they, they know they got to do a urine test, they may go get a test of their own to see if they could pass and uh, there's a lot of little things, but, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of false positives and that kind of stuff, so you yeah. really never know. Uh, I am a firm believer that most women, they know when they're pregnant. They have this feeling. It's like a built-in radar. They know that that test sometimes just gives them that peace of mind. So those kind of tests are a little different. The, the ones that I don't send you far very often are extra x-rays, MRI, CAT scans, yeah. that kind of stuff, unless there's some reason that we really need to yeah. or, or if you really need it in, for your peace of mind. 
Yeah, I think some people like the peace of mind. They just want an answer. You know, even if it's a bad answer, they just want to run a test. Hey, we were talking about Michio Kaku on uh, Steve's show Sunday morning, uh, Republic Broadcast Network. And now, you know, he's got some crazy ideas. But real quick, uh, I saw a piece on uh, the future of medicine, and they showed how they're using your basic your smartphone and some of the new technology that's coming out. And you can knock a lot of these tests out of the way before you even go to the doctor. And ultimately, kind of like the driverless car, you know, you wouldn't even have to see a doctor because a lot of this information you know, will be there and you can move on to the next phase and you don't have to see that doctor. He comes in for five minutes, tells you this, that, and the other thing, doesn't give you a chance to speak, and then he's back out on the golf course. We're, you know, looking uh, at that, and that looks pretty promising. But until that gets here, um, we'll see what happens. Well, yeah, and I don't like that because I'm not one of those doctors that spends five minutes. Most of the patients that I see uh, are in my office for the better part of an hour, Yep. And we're we're covering a lot of things and I'm getting all their feedback uh and again I don't I don't care if you put it on the cell phone or not there's a lot of those tests and especially like an MRI you're not ever going to do with a cell phone uh but they may come up with like there's a big push on TV all the time about full body scans and and you could have this checked and let's do a uh, bone density test well First off, bone density, as we age, gets less for just about everybody. No matter what you do, it's going to be a little less as you age because you're not the same age anymore and you're getting older. So doing a bone density and telling somebody you've lost some, uh, what they usually do is they'll tell them, they'll tell them you're not osteoporotic, but you're osteopenia, which means it's a little less. And it, it's a lot of times it's to sell a medication. You just don't need all those tests, and a lot of times the test doesn't do anything like with cancer. They can do all the tests they want, but they still don't know what to do other than chemo and radiation most of the time. Um, So I'm not a big fan of the test, but I do send people when I see that the peace of mind is important, and I always will because I want them to feel comfortable. But, you know, what's bad is a lot of times they've got it in their head that without that test, you don't know. Well, yes, you do know. People know. And and they you, you know your body. I, I guarantee you, like like Joe, if, if, if tomorrow morning you woke up and you're feeling like you're getting a little cold or a flu, you know that. Your body is telling you. You didn't need a test to tell you you feel weird. And so I, I don't think anything sneaks up on us like people sometimes like to believe and the the full body scan we're going to check and make sure all the arteries are good well even if they're not they don't do good things when they try to go in there and roto root or quadruple bypasses you know it, it should concern people in this country that we're very good at open heart surgery and the reason that is is for many years they told people that good fat was bad. They told people that table sugar was good, that carbs and all that other crap should be the top of your, uh, the bottom of your food pyramid, the most that you're eating, and that stay away from meat and, and dairy and all the good things that were good for your heart, arteries, and muscle tissue. They told people not to do And people listened, and then on top of that, they took the cholesterol drugs and the heart drugs, and guess what? It destroyed them, and so 
they got to have a lot of practice in the ER doing heart open heart surgeries and you know to me we created most of that problem by giving very bad advice from that side of the coin because the modern day food pyramid the last one i looked at was mostly upside down they had treated it terrible yeah that was uh that was an interesting how they worked that out anyway i hope people uh know to check their food and eat healthy and you know even everything that you've recommended that they take the supplements i mean that comes with a with a good diet stay away from the gmo foods eat you know live food and those are salads and your you know micro uh, nutrients that are found only in living foods you know you've got to eat right and then take the right supplements but you said a key point you know people got to tune in tune into their own frequency you feel something coming on yeah you'll you'll be able to to know it and you just hopefully get to that point where you catch something before it's a little too late well ladies and gentlemen uh we are at that point of the evening where we want to thank you so much for allowing us to come into your home be part of your health care um this is americanvoiceradio.com and you're listening to dr krupa's natural health hour a shout out thanks to our producer frank Thank you, Joe, for being here. My pleasure, Dave. uh, We we would love to have you make sure that you are very, very slow to speak and quick to listen and try to treat others as you'd like to be treated. And don't be so worried about tomorrow that you forget to live today. Good night, everybody. Have a great week, and we will see you next week. Seems the love I've known has always been the most destructive kind. Guess that's why now I feel so old before my time. Yesterday, when I was young, the taste of life was sweet as rain upon my tongue. I teased at life as if it were a foolish game. The way the evening breeze may tease a candle flame. The thousand dreams I dreamed, the splendid things I planned. I always built to last on weakened, shifting sand. I live by night and shun the naked light of day. And only now I see how the years ran away. Yesterday. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. 
Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Good evening, and welcome to America Betrayed. Well, uh, we are in hot, hot, hot water. This is uh, America Betrayed on AVR, American Voice Radio Network, uh, where you're always going to hear the truth. If you want to read about the truth, go to National Writer Syndicate. That's www.nationalwritersyndicate.com. And there will also be a preview of my show uh, a few days prior uh, to the show. Uh, don't forget now, go to National Writer Syndicate and AVR, American Voice Radio Network. Uh, tonight is going to be um, um, a show that I think maybe opened some people's eyes. I know it did mine. I knew there were a lot of things going on, but uh, I think you're going to find it uh, very interesting. Um, I just want to add a little levity to it. Uh, for those people that don't know, General Mattis is uh, uh, one of the people appointed by uh, uh, Trump, uh, the Secretary of Defense, his uh, name is uh, Mad Dog Mattis. Well, the talk is that he has a, a bearskin rug in his uh, in his house, but it's not dead. It's just afraid to make a move. Uh, the other thing is, uh, people are wondering why my home state people are so confused. Uh, this might uh, explain it. Uh, Chief Heather Fogg is the first San Francisco PD female lesbian chief of police. Teresa Sparks, a former male, is president of the San Francisco Police Commission and CEO of a million-dollar sex toy retailer and a transgender woman. Stephen Thorne, a former female, is the first transgender male San Francisco police officer. Their representative in Congress is Nancy Pelosi. Any questions? Now, what I wanted to get to tonight, a very dire uh, prediction. We are ripe for the fight that's coming soon to the neighborhood near you since 911. Preparations for martial law have played out across the country via military exercises to acclimate the people and local law enforcement for when the time comes. DARPA computer models predict with precision the mood of a country with minor unexpected changes like a Trump win, but the end game, end game results are the same. Chaos and violence in a country that is bursting at the seam with varied cultures that have no allegiance to America, while escaping socialist communist regimes believing their new life in America will provide them the freebies their own country promised them but did not deliver. Obama and Hillary assured them that they would have a new and easy life in America. Because of President Trump, the subsidy vouchers for rent, food, utilities, child care, and health care are now in jeopardy, a reason why California wants to be a sanctuary state for the illegal alien, predominantly in Southern California, while Governor Jerry Brown vows to fight the new administration at every turn. Scattered around the country are sanctuary cities, many of which face defunding by the federal government. Therefore, we are seeing a few of those same cities lying about their safe zone for illegal aliens in order to continue collecting taxpayer funds to house and feed those people that flock to the United States and at the same time become the future voting base for the Democrat Party. The big shuffle from city to city to rural America will soon be for anyone in the path of Donald Trump. The race card rhetoric will explode from coast to coast with socialist organizations stepping up their aggression against the white race. It doesn't matter that Trump is white. They blame whites for turning their freebies upside down, and they will take to the streets as soon as the refugee pause, the ban is overturned, followed by construction of the wall and operations by federal law enforcement to sweep neighborhoods in Chicago soon with other cities to follow. 
the war game DARPA computer models then become relative in 2017. If we were under Hillary Clinton's socialist communist rule, the shoe would be on the other foot. And again, the DARPA computer model for war in America would be the same. The difference being is with Trump in office, the socialist communist movement are now the enemy instead of the liberty movement. If anyone reading this actually thought that by having President Trump in office would curtail a civil war, you haven't been paying attention. By Trump in office, it escalates everything. If Trump acts fast enough and law enforcement do their job during riots, we might be lucky and a full-blown civil war without required Second Amendment intervention. The Democrats and their globalist buddies around the world see America slipping away from their power, and that appeals to them with great, with great anxiety. Shut down their future voting base and hold back federal funding for sanctuary cities. The illegal alien will self-deport, and America will be back on the road again, but not without a fight. False flag terrorist attacks by the CIA and planners will not happen for a while because the narrative by fake stream media to the Trump administration lately. You have no proof that refugees entering now or later are terrorists, an oxymoron considering what is happening in Europe. If there is a terrorist attack soon in America, that will justify Trump's legitimate concern. The quagmire is a catch-22 since most attacks in the U.S. seem to have the FBI element involved. Patsies provided the resources for a political agenda. The most worrisome false flag event to demoralize Trump and his voting base is a massacre on non-whites by a blue and white white guy with an NRA belt buckle and a red hat, by which will trigger a civil war. That's why the Trump must be thoroughly swamp must be clearly turned out as soon as possible. Well, folks, uh, it's a, uh, but all the elements are there, and I have to take some credence to it. Uh, all, on our show tonight. Uh, uh, we're going to be talking about illegal aliens, uh, what I was just talking about here. And our guest tonight will be uh, John Vincent, American Immigration Control. Uh, he's been a patriot for many years. I started working with him uh, a good 20, 25 years ago. And uh, what we wanted to talk about tonight are should illegal aliens and immigrants be removed from welfare and food stamp rolls? Should all Muslims who follow the Koran be banned from the United States? Should any demonstrator who causes harm to others or destroys property be removed from all government assistance and also fined $250,000 plus 10 years in prison, which they did to the demonstrators? And, well, they said they're going to do the ones in Washington, D.C. But uh, those are the things we want to talk about. And if you uh, want to call in and tell us we don't know what we're talking about or if you agree, the new toll-free number is 855 355 one nine five five. Again, eight five five three five five one nine five five. That's the toll free number to call in. And again, this is AVR American Voice Radio Network. My name is John Clark, American Betray. Right now, I'd like to go to my guest, uh, John Vincent. John, good evening. Good evening, John. Well, John, what do you think of uh, the monologue? Do you think there's any uh, uh, semblance of truth there? Well, I mean, I think uh, we're going to be facing some. Uh rather difficult times ahead. Uh, one thing that impresses me now is just how uh, loony the left wing is getting. Um, I used to have my computer set on uh, set to go to uh, CNN when I turned it on. Every morning I would read that page of left wing propaganda, just 
become more and more and more shrill. Finally, I, I've blocked it so I don't have to look at, at it, and I feel a lot happier during the day. But that's just one example of <laughs> they're just totally unbalanced. Um, you know, they uh, ranting and raving about how uh, Trump was violating the Constitution and American values by uh, a proclamation saying that we're going to have a temporary hold on people coming in from uh, terrorist-supporting countries until we can vet them. I mean, how more – could anyone be more reasonable than that? But you have this federal judge who uh, has tried to stop this. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, Trump is acting under the law by a statute enacted by Congress, which gives the president discretion to decide who comes into the country. Uh, there's a long legal uh, tradition upholding this position. But again, you've got this, you know, the loony left just going berserk against it. Yeah, well, John, uh, the, one of the major reasons is that North Korea, believe it or not, is one of the players behind these demonstrators. And uh, like what some of the police departments used to do, I don't know if they still do it, they, they, uh, they hire psychopaths. And uh, the same thing here. They've got uh, the craziest people they can find that have really nothing to lose uh, out there. That's why you're seeing this craziness. And they're paying them a lot of money. They're paying them $2,500 to go out there for, you know, one night and demonstrate. Uh, I don't know you, about North Korea, but I, mean, I think uh, George Soros doesn't. Yeah, no, North, North Korea is one of the players here, believe me. They uh, have a lot of evidence on that. That kind of shocked me with that. But, uh, you know, look at look at North Korea. I mean, uh, uh, we're keeping them separated, uh, just like we did with uh, Vietnam, North and South Vietnam. And, uh, and the end result was they wound up together, and that's uh, the poor pot-bellied pigs uh, desires to have that uh, happen to uh, North and South Korea. But uh, they're hiring the craziest people they can find uh, to get out there, like I said, have really nothing to lose. And uh, they, they will do anything. You, and you're seeing it. You're seeing all the destruction. That's why at one point uh, they're going to have to give orders to shoot to kill because otherwise they, they're just going to continue uh, doing that. Um, It'll just get worse. And like I said, the, the, this DARPA computer predicts a civil war uh, coming either way. It uh, would have come with, with Hillary or without Hillary. Without Hillary, with Trump in there, it's going to happen much faster. Once uh, they, this judge and this judge uh, that uh, stopped this uh, uh, thing with uh, Trump uh, is a uh, backer of uh, Black Lives Matters. He's a, he's a uh, uh, a rhino, just like his uh, buddy uh, uh, Bush, who appointed him. Everybody said, well, look, he's a Republican. That doesn't make any difference. Look, John McCain's a Republican. You know, that's no difference. The guy is a, a total fraud. He's a rhino paid by Soros. Uh, his girlfriend, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, you know, another one. Uh, the, you know, the list goes on and on about uh, uh, the, these people. I mean, it's, it, it's just uh, it's sickening, John. Yeah, John, go ahead. No, I, I wasn't saying anything. Uh. Okay, uh, Frank, Frank, uh, Frank, Stefan, Frank Stefan is uh, has his uh, own show here on uh, AVR American Voice Radio Network, uh, and uh, he's uh, my co-host tonight. And uh, I think he has a lot to say about uh, what's going on here. <laughs> Frank, how do you feel? Well, you know, on the DARPA thing, I, I just really. You know, to me, this sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy from DARPA. I don't trust DARPA any—you know what? I trust Vladimir Putin more than I trust DARPA. 
Oh, no, you're not a communist, are you? No, and neither's Putin. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I know. I know. You know, I mean, when you when you uh, no, if I was a communist, I'd be supporting, you know, Hillary. <laughs> I'd be with her if I was a communist. But, you know, the thing is, DARPA has their, DARPA has an agenda here. You know, a civil war would be great for DARPA. They'd love that. You know, the Pentagon would love it. The, all the defense contractors would love it. They'd all love that. You know, I, I don't trust DARPA. And I think, you know, these studies and these these models that they come in. Yeah, well, you know, computer models are great as long as you put in good data. But like any study, the person doing the study, if they're dishonest, they can make the study come out any way they want. I mean, you've we've seen this in the polls. I mean, you know, you look at all these polls, the night what, the night of the election. Oh, Hillary, landslide. She's going to just kill it. You know, she's just way, way ahead. Not a chance. Don't even, hey, don't even show up if you're going to vote for Trump. It's over. You know, I mean, that's what we were seeing for the whole election. It just wasn't true. He's filling stadiums. She can't get three people in a bathroom together. You know, and, and it's just <laughs> lying the whole time. So, you know, I don't trust DARPA. You know, you can say, okay, well, let's put these things into this computer and let's run our model. And, oh, look, civil war. No matter what we do, civil war. Well, gee, okay. I mean, I, I just All don't right. trust DARPA. But, I mean, that's not to say that we are not in a very dangerous situation here with these, uh, I don't even want to call them snowflakes or, or liberals or whatever, because what they really are is employees. They're, they're you know, they're all being paid. All these lawsuits are being funded by the same people that are paying these mobs to go out. I mean, that thing in Stanford, I read, uh, I read a bunch about that, and that whole that whole thing started out as a peaceful demonstration by a bunch of liberal snowflakes out there who were not happy. And you know what? That's their right to get out there with their signs and say, "Look, we're not happy, and here's why." And somebody pay attention to us, or we're going to cry. And you know, this is fine but then here comes a bunch of guys in black hoods you know black ski masks and they start hitting people in the head throwing bricks through windows and next thing you know we got a riot going so you know i i and i uh, sadly i haven't heard trump or anybody in the administration focus on sorrows spe specifically and say listen this guy is funding all this, all these illegal acts. He's financing riots. I, I mean, that's got to be illegal, because if it's not illegal, then I guess it's going to be legal for me if I want to go, go buy me a hitman and say, listen, I'm sick of this Hillary Clinton, okay? I want you to go get rid of her for me. Here's a bunch of money. I guess that'd be okay then, because, yeah, I well, I didn't do it. I just paid her to it, paid the guy to do it. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. You can't talk to me, because that's what George Soros is doing. And well, I Frank, I, I think the reason why is um, Trump doesn't have enough power yet. You know, Soros is very powerful, and if he tries to get him now, he's in a weak, uh, weak position, you know, and he's well, got to get stronger. All he has to do with Soros is arrest him, and then, once he's in custody— just uh, extradite him to Russia. He's already been found guilty of economic terrorism in Russia. He's a wanted man. He can't go to that country without getting arrested. And Oh, by the way, and that, that conviction 
came before Putin was even president. Okay, so it wasn't. It's not. Oh, Putin and Trump. Uh, they're against. No, this was before Putin. You know, George Soros was in Russia committing economic terrorism. And what what would you call paying rioters? Isn't that economic terrorism? Well, I think the Democratic Party should be uh, designated a terrorist uh, uh, party also because oh. they, they're committing terrorist acts. But, uh, John, I'm going to get back to uh, what we started with. Uh, I know that it's almost a given that illegal aliens should not uh, be receiving welfare or food stamps. But what about uh, legal immigrants? Uh, that was one of my questions. Should illegal aliens and immigrants uh, be removed from welfare and food stamp rolls? How do you feel about that? Well, you know, under the law as it exists— um you, if you are an immigrant and you become a public charge, that is, you get on welfare, uh, you're supposed to be deported uh, if your sponsor cannot uh, provide for you. I mean, that's on the statute books, but that law is seldom, if ever, enforced. I think it would be good to enforce that law. Uh, immigrant households are much more likely to be on welfare than uh, native-born uh, households. Uh, they impose you know, a substantial burden on the taxpayers. Exactly. How about you, Frank? How do you feel about that? Well, I, you know, I've got a little modified version of that. I think that you know, there ought to be some sort of time limit. Like, you know, if you, from the day you become a legal immigrant, meaning you have a green card now, you are allowed to work, you're allowed to stay here permanently. Once you get that, I think maybe it ought to be 10 years. Look, if you end up on welfare within 10 years and your sponsor can't can't support you, you're out of here. But, you know, after 10 years, I would I would consider them just like everybody else because obviously if you can stay employed, especially in this economy, if you can stay employed for 10 years, then, you know, I'm going to have to figure that you're 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 pretty decent immigrant and uh you belong here you know because anybody can come unemployed especially in our economy you know i mean things are tough okay the other question was uh, should all muslims who follow the quran be banned from the united states how about you uh, john well i think we should have a policy that keeps the muslim population in the u.s from growing uh i've been thinking that um you know uh, a fool can only uh, uh, learn from his experience if he ever learns anything at all. But a wise man can learn from the experience of other people before it affects him directly. We can look at Europe and we can see the terrible problems they have over there with the growing Muslim population. The fact of the matter is that Islam is just not compatible with a Western society such as ours. And so it, it's quite reasonable to limit that population, I think. Yeah, how about you, Frank? Uh well yeah I I do I think uh, Muslims who attest that they do believe in the Quran should not be allowed in this country because the Quran is incompatible with the Constitution the Bill of Rights uh, and the Declaration of Independence it is inconsistent with democracy or a republican form of government it's just not compatible and if you believe that then I'm sorry, you don't belong here. Now, it's not because of your religion, it's because of the politics of Islam, okay? Because Islam, every oh, it's a religion, you can't do it, you know, you can't uh, ban religion. 
Well, it's not the religious part that's the problem. I don't care what they believe. They can believe a, a rock out in their yard is God if that's what they want to believe. It's their problem. But when their when their law, and that's what the Quran is to these Muslims. That's the law. It's not just a religion. It's the law. You know, it's like if a Christian said, well, hey, I see a homo over there. Everybody get your rocks. Come on, let's go stone him to death because that's what the Bible in Leviticus calls for. So, you know, we don't do that, though. But the Muslim does. And that's political. And it's like, right. no, I'm sorry, you are politically incompatible with this country. Uh, just like, you know, they said, hey, back in the 50s, look, if you're a communist, you're you're not you're not holding any offices or anything. You know, they tried to stop that, and, well, that didn't work out so well, but yeah, I think it's, uh, what you're saying, Frank, is when they want to use the rock to kill you. Uh, we're coming up on uh, um, break here, and uh, we wanna, I want to have a little nostalgia with the music, going back to the music of my, uh, my generation. And, uh, again, this is uh, America Betrayed on AVR, American Voice Radio Network. If you want to call in after the break, the toll-free number is 855-355-1955. Again, 855 855- Three five five one nine five five, and I also want to say hello to all of our listeners down in Baja, California, uh, Mexico. Uh, we have quite a few down there. Americans living down there, they're a little concerned about uh, conditions not only in the United States but also in uh, Mexico. Everybody's on edge, um, and I hope you enjoy the music. And we'll see you right after the break.
Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. is afraid of pain. No one wants pain to rule over their life, and you don't want the negative side effects of aspirin, ibuprofen, or prescription drugs. They can lower immunity and cause dependency. Is there a safe alternative? I'm herbalist Wendy Wilson, and I prefer willow bark and meadowsweet herbs to control pain, fever, aches, and inflammation. God's herbs are good, and you won't be disappointed. Call Apothecary Herbs for pain or extra strength pain relief formula toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010 or online, thepowerherbs.com. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Welcome back to America Betrayed. You're listening to us on AVR, American Voice Radio Network. That was the famous Jackie Wilson. The good old uh, music of my day, which I thought they had some pretty good um, music back then. Uh, I'm going to end the show tonight uh, in a little while uh, with a song from one of my former co-hosts. I think if you know the music, it would be the music of Sonny Turner. Um, Don't forget now, there's quite a few uh, companies that we're boycotting. Uh, Well, CNN, as I think most of you know, MSNBC is another uh, target, or Target, however you want to call it. Uh, Dasani Yogurt, he says he's only going to hire Muslims. He is a Muslim himself. Starbucks, uh, he doesn't want uh, us people. He wants uh, sodomites. Uh, and there's uh, uh, quite a number of others. I would not uh, 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 buy any products that only uh, feature uh, blacks in their commercials, uh, any of these black shows. Uh, and again, uh, I feel that it's white genocide. Uh, they're doing the same thing in Europe, uh, doing the same thing here. They have to get rid of a white race, white middle class, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. Uh, but whenever you see... Um, Commercials only with blacks, and uh, don't buy that product, uh, please. Uh, again, the toll-free number is 855-355-1955. That's if you want to call in, uh, talk about it. Uh, we were talking about uh, whether or not um, uh, illegals and uh, immigrants should be cut off welfare. Absolutely. Uh, we have uh, many citizens. Uh, we have servicemen sleeping on the freeways. I just saw a picture of a, uh, a, a ex uh, uh, soldier uh, who died on a park bench in the winter because uh, he didn't have any place to stay. This is uh, really ridiculous. Yes, they should be cut off, and all Muslims should be deported out of the country because there is no such thing as a moderate Muslim. Ask the people of Turkey. They'll tell you. They're, they say, Why do the people in America keep saying moderate Muslims? There is no such thing. In the Quran, it says it's their duty to either convert you or kill you. There is no in-between. Well, they can kiss my you-know-what. Um, and also, it says in the Quran that Allah is the number one deceiver. To me, that's Lucifer. We don't need these people. And it's just amazing to me that these uh, lesbians, dykes, or wh- whatever they call themselves, uh, homos out there, uh, back Muslims. I mean, uh, the Muslims want to throw them on rooftops. Are these people crazy? Are they brainwashed? You know, what what is going on? And these feminists out there, uh, you know, pretend like they're uh, Muslims. Uh, wearing the headdress and everything else. It's total insanity, total, absolute insanity. And, yes, all Muslims should be removed from the United States as soon as possible. That's part of draining the swamp because they are the enemy of any Western country, cannot exist in our country at all, ever. And they were banned uh, back in 1952, uh, the Walter McCarran Act. There was uh, some uh, changes made in later years, but, uh, again— uh, if once uh, Trump gets this overturned, you watch what starts happening. They're going to hit the streets again and start getting much more violent. Uh, John, yeah, you know, you've been at this for a long time. You've been at it a little longer than I have. Uh, I met you about 20, 25 years ago, and I know you were at it uh, already pretty heavy then. And at that time, uh, I put together a press conference on the Capitol steps with uh, 20 congressmen, with Sonny Bono as the MC, and uh, I was told uh, by the congressman I was working with not to mention legal immigration, but yet uh, people came out uh, in front of the cameras with a banner that said, uh, you know, 
um, no more immigration at all, period. And they got very upset about that. Uh, we need to control immigration. Our resources are wearing thin. The water, everybody thinks now the water crisis is over in California and Mexico. It's not because there is no uh, aquifer out there. But we have to control the flow of people. The main reason for immigration control is to control diseases and also to control jobs for American citizens. That's what Eisenhower did uh, and, and a couple of others. And, uh, John, what was your main motivation? Uh, I know you've told me uh, uh, a couple of times for leaving the newspaper and getting heavily involved with the illegal immigration issue, uh, actually the immigration issue. I just saw that it uh, was going to carry this uh, country in a very, very bad direction. Uh, I think Ann Coulter uh, sums up pretty well. This uh, characterization of hers might sound harsh to some people, but she said, she said that immigration is turning the U.S. into a third-world hellhole, and I think that's the direction we're headed uh, toward. Uh, you just can't bring all the cultures and peoples of the world together and imagine they're going to live in kumbaya harmony. That, it, that's just totally against human nature. A little immigration is fine. You know, bring in people, assimilate them, and bring in some more and assimilate them. Uh, that can work, but uh, this craziness that we have now is is just going to explode in our faces. Uh, I'm just uh, John, go ahead. John, we have a, a caller, Chaz from Arizona. Chaz, good evening. Good evening, John. Um, I, I wanted to say that if someone has not already done so, go pick up a copy of the Koran and read just the introduction to um, and like Aiku Rizuli says, read the first nine chapters. Uh, those people are not compatible with uh, Western society whatsoever. And to answer the question, should they be banned? You bet, Jeff. Yeah, I've I got a question for you, Chaz. Uh, you got a sure. couple of real screwballs screw there in Arizona, and they keep getting reelected. One is that Flake, who is really a flake, and also uh, uh, McCain, uh, who's a complete yeah, psycho. Yeah, and I agree. I do agree. How, how do they uh, get? And, and basically, um, I I was so focused on a presidential race, I wasn't paying that much attention myself to what was happening here in Arizona. Yeah, now you have a, a sheriff also that replaced uh, Arpaio, who now calls the illegal aliens guests. What's what's going on down there? Um, well, fortunately, I don't come too close into contact with it, but uh, from what I understand, it doesn't sound good at all. But how do they keep getting reelected? I, I know a lot of people in Arizona, and I haven't found one person that has ever voted for McCain or Flake. So I guess well, we got probably, rigged voting uh, for sure down there. Yeah, they're probably doing the same thing they've been doing with uh, numerous other people around the country. They're just uh, they're falsifying the uh, uh, the election. It's too doable. Well, it's not very surprising either, especially in Arizona. It's something that people don't really realize that much. Is Arizona basically was. Uh, Oh, how would you put it? Colonized by the mob, and that's where yeah. McCain got all his money, and his little sugar girl there got all her money from yeah. you know the mob. 
So, you know, the mob is going to, you know, rig elections and do all that stuff. So, you know, that that's what I account McCain to, because there's no way that guy would be winning any other way. Not at all. Uh, of the people I know, none of them wanted to have McCain in there. Uh, Chaz, did you ever serve in the military? Yes, sir, I did. You know, I guess you know the background of McCain in Vietnam as a traitor. Wouldn't you call him a traitor? Uh, I would certainly be inclined to, absolutely. Yeah, they call him Songbird uh, M- McCain, but yet uh, yeah. I, I, I've dealt with him a couple of times when I worked in uh, Congress, and uh, <clears throat> the man belongs in a straitjacket. He's a complete psycho, uh, a, a madman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, him and uh, Jane Fonda and, and a few others should uh, be facing firing squads or gallows somewhere. Well, I have to encourage people to go on YouTube and search for POWMIA McCain Senate hearings, and when you see how that man treated those widows and you know daughters of you know MIAs and POWs, you'll you'll be shocked and appalled at this guy and wonder how is he still even alive. Good question. Thank you. It's just amazing. Like, like the Vietnamese had something on him, uh, maybe uh, the true history of how he behaved as a POW, and he was afraid that would be revealed. And so uh, he did that to the uh, MIA people. At that time, Vietnam uh, wanted a uh, favored trade status with the U.S., but uh, it was decided here that that couldn't happen until the uh, MIA uh, issue was resolved. So. Okay, yeah. Now, that, like I said, I, I, I've seen the guy in action in person. I know what he is, a complete psycho, psychopath. He's a... Uh, uh, in that case, he belongs in a straitjacket. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about tonight, I know in 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 the riots in Washington, D.C., where the Capitol Police, I know you've been with me, John, where I've organized uh, press conferences and others, and you see how the Capitol Police react. They, they, they don't fool around. They come right in and, uh, you know, take care of business. Uh, and I was really surprised that these demonstrators are going to do that, but I think they were shocked when they found out that, they're facing $250,000 fines and 10 years in prison. I think this is the only way we're going to stop something like this. Uh, I, to me, any anybody who uh, d- demonstrates who causes harm to others or destroys property uh, should be removed from all government assistance and placed in uh, jail and for a la- large sentence. The only, other than shooting them, how else are you going to stop them? One thing, John, you've got this... Uh movement around uh, the country called Antifa, stands for anti-fascist, and they're these left-wing hoodlums who have decided to take it upon themselves to beat up, to attack, beat up anyone they disagree with politically, and we saw those yeah. people in California just recently. And yeah, John, yeah, just uh, one second. Chaz, yeah, did you have any other questions or uh, comments? Not all the way so much. I would just firmly stress, if you haven't already, look into what the Koran actually has to say. And the introduction alone is enough. I picked one up a few years ago, and I read the intro to it, and I went, there's so much venom in there, there's just no way I'm going to read this book. Yeah, Yeah, I.Q. Rizzoli has been my guest in the past uh, quite a number of times. He really opens your eyes to a lot about the fact that— that that was not Osama bin Laden that they killed, and it was our government who had the SEAL Team 6 killed. Uh, 
you know, and when uh, Trump said, well, we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're killers also. Yeah, Sonny Bono, ask Sonny Bono if uh, we haven't killed and ask uh, Ted Gunderson, ask the JFK uh, right. if our government doesn't kill uh, people. You know, they still believe that it was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, lone gunman. It was the CIA and the mafia that killed uh, JFK. Uh, Jazz, well, thanks for calling. I hope you uh, keep listening to the show. Thank you, John. I do appreciate it. Gentlemen, have a good evening. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Jazz. You. Yeah. Um, Frank, how, how do you feel about that, uh, you know, uh, these rioters uh, that uh, destroy property? And uh, it, it's like the blacks, whenever they didn't get their own way, they talk about the privileged whites. I think they're the privileged blacks. Uh, you know, they go out and burn down their own houses and then get rebuilt and, and they give them money for it. Don't well, you feel that there should be a heavy-duty penalty or, or uh, some repercussions? Well, that group that John mentioned was the group in Stanford, okay? That was a peaceful protest until those guys showed up. And, you know, th these people that do this, I, and I'm not saying that there's never been, you know, spontaneous, like, okay, the Rodney King thing. That may have been spontaneous. I'm sure the race baiters were out there, you know, whipping it up. But I don't think any of those people got paid at the time to go out and protest like they are now. Now they're getting a paycheck. You know, I mean, any one of us, you think back to your youth and there you are. You ain't got much money. You ain't got any good job, you know, and somebody says, hey, how about you go over here and uh, you cause some trouble and, or, you know, just raise hell over there and, uh, you know, we'll pay you and we'll pay you good. And, uh, oh, hey, don't worry about getting arrested. We'll bail you out. We'll pay your fines. We'll do all that for you. You know, uh, you know, if we're going to be honest with ourselves in our youth, we all would have probably said, sure, I'll take that check. You betcha. What do I care? You know, I, you know, I got to look out for myself. And that's what these people are. I don't think they have any real, you know, position on any of these policies or anything. I don't think they have an understanding of what's going on to have any opinions on policies. They're just getting paid. They're, yeah, well, but if you, know. if you put a heavy-duty uh, uh, penalty on there, like I said, a $10,000 fine or $250,000 fine, 10 years in prison, just a prison alone, they're going to think twice about taking well, that check, don't you think? No, because the thing is, see, what your, your, your idea here is the same idea they've used at the drug war. You know, go after the user, go after the user, throw them in prison forever and just you know, ruin their lives. Well, meanwhile, you know, the drug traffickers and the and the big drug kingpins are living in mansions. You see, they need to go after the head. They need to cut Soros down at his knees is what they need. And anybody else who's funding these people. You know, look, if Americans want to get out there and protest on their own time, their own money, and based on their own beliefs, look, more power to you. But... If it's going to be a paid thing like that, uh, no. You know, you got to do something. And, and, and I don't think just locking all those people up is going to do anything. Because, you know, $250,000 fine sounds like a lot to you and me. I don't think George Soros notices that kind of money. You know, yeah. he needs to be stopped. Well, there must be some reason why uh, uh, Putin, Putin was former head of the KGB. Why hasn't he grabbed him? Ha! Huh. Well, yeah, well, why hasn't he grabbed him? But, you know, if he sets foot in Russia, he's going to prison. He's already been convicted of yeah, economic but, uh, terrorism. 
KGB worldwide, they're going to grab whoever they want something bad enough. They're going to grab them no matter where they're at. They, they, you know, that's their tactics. They really don't have any rules or regulations. Well, that's true. They're like the Mossad that way, huh? But right. you know, the the thing is, I don't, you know, that could probably cause. Well, I don't know now, but uh, back when you know uh, Obama or Bush or Clinton or any of them were in the White House, that would have created a international incident. You know, now maybe maybe we ought to you know ask Putin, why don't you just go grab him? I mean, he's a criminal. He's a fugitive. In Russia, you know, why not go get him and say, no, you got to serve your sentence, buddy. We found you guilty. Economic terrorism, this ain't a joke, you know, and, and lock him up and lock his kid up, too, because now yeah. he's got his kid running the business. Yeah, they, um... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, can put El Chapo, who had billions and billions of dollars, uh, and they got him all locked up. They did Noriega the same way. I don't, I, yeah, I, I just don't understand why they don't do something to Soros. Uh, it's beyond me. Uh, John, we're coming up on the end of the show here. Why don't you give your website where people can go check out? Also, I, I did about 10 f films for you guys uh, over the year, 10-year period. Uh, you probably should have some still for sale, don't you? Yeah, a few here and there. Yeah, check out uh, uh, Border Out of Control, where I went down to uh, uh, Puerto Rico to film the, uh, the drug cartels coming in through Mona Island and, and uh, how illegal Cubans get $10,000 in cash, free medical and low-interest business loan. But uh, give people your website, uh, how to contact you if they like to purchase the films or contact you for other reasons. But uh, uh, do contact John because he's a great patriot. Why don't you go ahead, John? Right, the website is www.aicfoundation.com. Yeah, and you've been at it for a long time, John, and uh, I hope the best with you. Uh, also, uh, I have a couple of books out. One is Dead Angel, Dead Angel. That's uh, about growing up with Jerry Garcia from five or six years old in San Francisco. Uh, he went left, I went right. I, I was not following what he did politically. Uh, later years, totally against what I believe, but uh, initially he was a, a good kid. Uh, my other uh, book, Pozan, P-O-Z-A-N, is about my supernatural alien encounters and went on for uh, approximately 10 years. Uh, I dealt with some of the top scientists in the country on it. Uh, you might want to check it out. Uh, you've read it, John. Um, yeah, how, how do you spellbounding. I mean, I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it, it would. Uh, I know it scared the hell out of me for about uh, 10 years. And, uh, Frank, how can people get a hold of you? Oh, AmericanVoiceRadio.com or ABRN.TV. That's the easiest one. Uh, and that's pretty much how all the information's there. My email's there. we got a chat room there. So it's it's not difficult to get in touch with me. Yeah, next week uh, we're going to be talking to Mr. X. I found out that uh, there is a movement of Baja, Mexico, that wants to separate from Mexico. And California wants to separate from the United States. They want to try to become one country, uh, Baja, California, uh, which is quite interesting because uh, no, people in northern Baja feel that they're being given the shaft because all the money goes to Mexico City. Uh, you know, they have all the tourist areas there, but yet uh, they live in these cardboard shacks. So there's a, a lot of things brewing there. So once Trump makes his move uh, into California, I think you're going to see fireworks 
Uh, well, you know, all the northern counties in California want to leave the state of California and start their own state with uh, a few southern counties here in Oregon, the state of Jefferson. Yeah, well, I'm telling people to go up to Oregon because there's a lot of Looney Tunes up there, too. Yeah, up in Portland, go up that way. That's where you'll find all them. And in Seattle, I at first I went up to Seattle to investigate D.B. Cooper, and <laughs> uh, I walked into a Safeway. I grew up in San Francisco, but I walked into a Safeway, and I stopped dead in my tracks. It was like another country. Yeah. It, it, I, I couldn't believe it. It was like a communist country. Now, they're insane up that uh, up there. It, it's you know, but if you look at a map, everybody thinks Oregon is this liberal state. But if you look at the red, you know, the red blue map of counties, you will find that we have 36 counties in this uh, state, and only four of them are blue. But okay. That's up north where all the population's at, so they uh, they get their way. That may be due to lack of oxygen with the high altitude there. But uh, thanks again, Frank, uh, for being co-host. Uh, thanks, John. And uh, like I said, next week we're going to find out if Baja is going to become Baja California or we're going to have riots or whatever, because it should be overturned what uh, Trump's trying to do. Uh, and this end song that we're coming up with is uh, an old friend of mine that used to be my co-host, uh, Sonny Turner from the Platters. Uh, I thought they were one of the great groups from the, the 50s. And uh, I want to dedicate this to uh, Sonny. So here you go with... Uh, the platters.
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Up 13 points to 4,801. 
Uh, New York Stock Exchange is down 26 points to 10,889. Uh, U.S. dollar index was up 0.17, 
segment of the program and see if he agrees that ultimately gold has to rise dramatically. In the meantime, a couple articles we can talk about for this first segment of the program. And here's one. Why is the Fed easing again? This is from CNBC.com. In the course of December and January, the balance sheet of the U.S. Federal Reserve expanded by $187 billion to a total of $4 trillion. What that means is the Federal Reserve bought $187 billion, about $90 billion per month, from the government's bonds. Now, this is the same thing we had under quantitative easing, which allegedly ended last October. And the government and the Fed said, we're not buying any more of the government's bonds. The economy's strong enough. We don't have to do this. And yet here they are, in a sense, secretly buying $90 billion per month of government bonds. They are the principal source of income that the government and the principal source of currency that the government is using to stay solvent and stay active in terms of providing benefits and whatever it is they do in government. Most of the money they are operating, or much of the money they're operating with, is coming from the Federal Reserve. And what the Fed's getting in return are government bonds, which are technically worthless. The reason the Fed buys these bonds, and they have been for the past several years, is that mostly no one else will. All right? There are a few exceptions on that, but most of the world's markets, and I'm not buying any more of those government bonds, U.S. government bonds, I don't going to buy those. They can't pay the debt they have. How are they going to take on more debt and pay that? The Federal Reserve ended quantitative easing again last October or thereabouts. That was the end of it. And they, that was, you know, this is it. We're not doing it anymore. But October was ended. November didn't have any. But then according to this report from CNBC in December and January, they went back and they engaged in quantitative easing, although they didn't say anything about it. They didn't come out and say, well, we started quantitative easing four. There have been people who predicted that quantitative easing four was inevitable, hmm? that the Federal Reserve was saying, no, no, we're done. We're not going to do that. The implications of the report by CNBC is that the government is still in trouble. It does not have a credible source of revenue. The taxes aren't high enough to support government promises and government inclinations to spend more money, more money, more money. They've got to get it from the Fed because they can't get it from anyone else. Um, and the article continues, and it said, well, it says, interestingly, the Fed's uh, apparently puzzling return to aggressive asset purchases, and I would say these are not assets. They call them assets. I'd say they're toxic assets, meaning these government bonds are going to be are, will turn out to be worthless before this is all over, or substantially less valuable than they currently are today. Fed's 
apparently puzzling return to aggressive asset purchases continues in an environment of mounting concerns about much-feared and presumably fast-approaching interest rate increases in the United States. One wonders, therefore, what about what the Fed watchers are looking at, because there can be no doubt here about the policy intent. The balance sheet is directly controlled by U.S. monetary authorities, and so uh, is the effective federal funds rate, which finished trading last Friday at 0.07%, within a basis point of where it was a year earlier. The question is, what is the Fed, well, what are the Fed watchers looking at? What's the Fed looking at? Why are they seemingly engaging in quantitative easing, that is to say, buying more government bonds, and in doing so, printing more money, they printed up an extra $90 billion per month in January, in uh, December and January, according to this report. And that money is being spent by the government into the economy, presumably to stimulate the economy. Now, why is the Fed doing this? They just quit doing it in October. They gave it, they had November, they didn't do anything. And now in December and January, they've started up again. Why? What's got them going here? And from my perspective, they are probably looking at the U.S. dollar index. And they're looking at evidence that commodity prices are falling across the globe. Not just prices for gold and crude oil, but copper, for example, and a host of other commodity prices are falling. The U.S. dollar index, the dollar is becoming more valuable on the U.S. dollar index. And it has been for about eight months. All of these... All of these facts are evidence that we are sliding into an era of deflation. Deflation is the great threat to the government or any other significant, anyone else who's deeply in debt. Because in the end, deflation causes you to repay your debt with more expensive dollars. Inflation allows you to repay your debt with cheaper dollars. Inflation encourages people to borrow money and spend it into the economy, buy a house, a car, a flat screen TV, whatever. Because of inflation, they'll be paying off their debt with cheaper dollars. They know, the borrower knows they're getting over, they are able to take advantage of the creditors because of inflation. But that situation is reversed during periods of deflation. Deflation causes the dollar to be worth more rather than less. And it, caused, and it causes debtors to repay their debts with more valuable dollars, meaning they have more purchasing power when the dollars are repaid than they had when they were borrowed. You can go ahead and borrow $100,000 from the bank. If we have inflation of 10%, you pay back $100,000, but you may only repay $900,000 in terms of purchasing power as compared to when you borrowed the hundred grand in the first place. We get into an era of deflation, you borrow $100,000 if there's 10% deflation. By the time you repay that debt, you're still giving them only $100,000. The nominal amount is the same, but the purchasing power could be $110,000. That makes it harder for you to find the money to pay the debt it makes it more likely that you may slide into bankruptcy, insolvency, bankruptcy. 
It makes it more likely that you'll default on the debt because the debt is growing due to deflation. Government is the biggest debtor in the world. The United States government owes more money than anybody else on the face of the globe. Because they are an incredible debtor, they have an extraordinary interest in maintaining inflation. And they've had inflation for most of my lifetime. It's part of the reason why a dollar today is only worth a nickel as compared to what it was back as late as 1971. That's evidence of, in terms of purchasing power, you got a dollar, you can only buy a nickel's worth of stuff as compared to the purchasing power of the dollar back as, say, 1970. All right. Government wants inflation in order to diminish its debt and make it easier for government to repay that debt. And yet for the last eight months, maybe nine, going on nine now, we've seen the value of the dollar going up, and we've seen the price of major commodities going down. Deflation makes it harder for the government to pay the debt, and therefore, it should not tolerate deflation. And although it has seemingly tolerated deflation for eight or perhaps going on nine months now, we have a report that says, in fact, in December and January, the government started to re-engage quantitative easing trying to cause inflation. Why? To offset deflation. The object, you know, is not simply to cause inflation. People sit back and we talk about the government wants to stimulate the economy and cause inflation. The inflation may be incidental. The government's true motive behind quantitative easing should be to prevent deflation, which will precipitate bankruptcies, including potentially that of the United States government. If a time comes when, because of deflation, the government simply can't even service its debts by paying the interest that's owed, this whole system collapses. It all goes down. So they should be fighting to prevent deflation. They haven't been obviously doing so for eight or nine months. That has been a mystery to me. It's been a surprise, an amazing story, an amazing event. Why hasn't government been trying to reinstate inflation? Why have they tolerated the U.S. dollar index to rise as high as it has? And it's been a mystery to me and just completely contrary to the government's interest so far as I'm able to understand. And now what we see is maybe government has finally said, oh, wait a second. We're seeing some evidence of deflation. We're going to react to it. We're not going to talk about it. We're just going to go pump an extra $90 billion per month into the economy. We're going to lend it to the government. The government's going to spend it on something. All right? Who knows what it'll be and whether it will make any sense or not is another story. But they will spend this $90 billion per month for December and January. Are they going to do it in February? Can we expect it into March? Has quantitative easing, QE4, has it already begun? Um, I am encouraged because it looks to me like perhaps the government is returning to 
a certain level of rationality and their willingness to allow deflation for the past eight or nine months has struck me as just irrational and insane. It was incomprehensible to me. <clears throat> but here we see evidence, nope, maybe they're coming back on track. Well, if they are, and if they're successful, then we, within in the context of inflation, the prices of crude oil, prices of gold, prices of commodities should start to rise again. And for some of us, that's going to be a very good thing. We're going to take a break now for some commercial announcements. James Corbett should join us in just a couple of moments. I hope you'll stay tuned. James will be calling in from Japan, and we'll find out what James thinks about the economy and the political system and so on. We'll be right back. I'm Alfred Addis. will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663 or thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
I'm Alfred Adask, and this is Financial Survival for Wednesday night, the 11th day of February, year of our Lord 2015. Our guest is James Corbett. He is the author of the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. James has been living and working in Japan for 10 years now. He started the Corbett Report in 2007 as an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. Hello, James. How are you? I'm doing well. I can't Good. complain. I guess I could complain when I think about it. I wouldn't it. listen. I, I know that. Nobody else does. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I don't think anyone would argue with the idea that you're an intellectual. Would you argue with the idea? I'm certainly more intellectually inclined than otherwise, yes. What do you think that means, to be an intellectual? That is a good question. Uh, it means spending maybe too much time in your head and not enough uh, time elsewhere. But, uh, but I don't know. I mean, there's a number of things that go into that. I think it's really just... Uh, honestly, I look at uh, human capacities and potentialities as different aspects of, of the overall human experience, and some people are stronger in certain areas and stronger in other areas. I mean, there's benefits, obviously, to being intellectually inclined, but then there's drawbacks as well, and I'm trying to more align the rest of my life with my intellectuality, but <laughs> I keep using that words like intellectuality, done, so... <laughs> I see intellectual. I, to be an intellectual, it doesn't just merely mean that you're well-educated and articulated, and articulate, to my mind. A lot of people feign being intellectual. All right? something they, it's an act they can put on and they can make a pretense out of it, but it's not real. For me, to be an intellectual means you must have a passion for ideas. Not just, you don't just talk about it, you have a passion for them, that's the way it appears to me. And based on that passion, you wind up, this is where it really gets conflicting with ordinary life. You wind up with a compulsion to deal with the truth. You can't deal with ideas on the basis of lies. You can't accept them, you have to keep digging for the truth to find out what's really going on here if you really want to get to the idea, the heart of the idea. So I'm seeing a passion for the ideas, and to me that necessarily means you've got to be honest. And that can interfere with, your, with the balance of your life because the world doesn't necessarily appreciate honesty as much as it claims. Unfortunately. And, and let me put it this way. I mean, I've found with myself and the other intellectuals that I tend to hang out with that it's impossible to take anything at face value. I mean, you always have to scrutinize everything to the nth degree and look for the underlying hidden meanings and, and things that people may not necessarily be actively dissembling when they tell you something, but there is still maybe some untruth to what's being said, so you have to parse that out. And it's always questioning and and, uh, and questioning yourself and questioning everything that's going on, which, I mean, it, it is helpful towards getting to truth, quote-unquote, but uh, it's extremely difficult to live in the everyday world with that yeah, attitude because, yeah. you know, it's, that does start to interfere at a certain point. Now, I understand what you're saying, and um, I agree with you. Uh, I th from my perspective, we've got two major problems or flashpoints in the world today. One of them is 
Greece and the other one is Ukraine. I figured we would talk about Greece for the second for this for this segment of the program and then talk about the Ukraine in the following segment. But maybe you've got something that you think is more important than Greece or the Ukraine at this point. Is there something else you'd rather talk about? Uh, not really. On the geopolitical table, I think those are the two uh, two things yeah. to talk about. And I just recorded and released a conversation with Rick Rosoff of Stop NATO International about what's happening in Ukraine right at this moment. So it is uh, certainly on the knife edge there. And then, of course, as you say, with Greece, we are looking at the potential for some sort of Brexit or the breakdown of the Eurozone or something coming to a head. And it could be within really within days. I mean, there are yeah, some no. really crucial meetings that are taking place right now. Yeah. Oh. I've got, I've got a bunch of little headlines here. Eurozone, Greece failed to agree way forward following meeting. Eurozone finance ministers were unable to agree with Greece. Uh, a final statement on a final statement or a way to continue talks until their next meeting on Monday. Um, we explored a number of issues, one of which was the current program. Uh, said Giro on Thistlebaum. I got the D right. The rest maybe, maybe not. Who chaired the meeting? Uh, the headline indicates Greece and the eurozone are not coming to an agreement, at least at the moment. Is this just a very intense game of chicken? And one of these guys, either Greece or the European Central Bank, is going to swerve at the last minute to avoid some sort of a crash, or? Are we looking at two parties, neither one of which is inclined or capable of negotiating, and therefore we have a conflict of ultimatums? European Central Bank says you've got to pay the whole bill, 100%. Greece says we can't pay more than 50%, maybe not even that. What are we looking at, ultimatums or chicken, or what's going to happen here? Well, I mean, uh, you have the new Greek finance minister, uh, Varoufakis, Varoufakis? I, I don't, I'm not so good with my Greek pronunciation, um, who's saying basically Europe, Europe manages to find agreements even if it's at the last moment. So it, at any rate, the face that they're presenting to the world is that this is just some, yeah, a bit of negotiating tactics and a bit of uh, chicken going on, but eventually someone's going to swerve. Um, I mean, I really don't have a prediction on this. I really don't know which way it's going to go. But I think from the perspective of the Greek people, I mean, I, I don't think there's a happy way out of this situation in terms of what's happening underlying the economy. The economy itself is what's really ailing here. And I certainly agree that just hooking themselves to the EU IMF troika yoke of uh, debt oppression is not the answer, not the way forward. And to just simply take on whatever austerity mandates um, these these various bodies put on this government as part of their bailout package is clearly not the way forward for the Greek people or the Greek economy. But then again, I'm highly skeptical that Syriza's plan is the way forward for the economy either. And it, I hope people have or will at least take a look at what Syriza is actually proposing, what their actual 40-point plan really is, which consists of some things that I think I would be completely supportive of. I mean, some things that I think are just on their face pretty pretty obvious, like equal salaries for men and women. I don't think anyone would actually dispute that, that as a goal or, uh, or uh, um, various things, uh, uh, using uh, buildings of the government, banks and the church for the homeless, things like that. I mean, again, policies that a lot of people can get behind. And then you have some more controversial type of policies, um, ones 
like uh, raising the minimum salary, which, of course, you're familiar with that uh, that argument in the United States and the idea that raising the minimum salary is somehow going to raise the uh, the, the standard of the, the average worker in the economy, which I think is fundamentally unsound argument. But I understand a lot of people believe that if you just make McDonald's workers uh, get $15 an hour, then everything will be better. Um, so I, I think there's some controversial things like that. And then there's things that are just outright, I think, preposterous. Um, raising income tax to 75% for any income over 500,000 euros, nationalization of banks. I mean, the types of things that you would expect from a openly socialist party, but uh, that I just I don't see as in any way actually helping to further the economic freedom, let alone the economic opportunity of the average Greek. So I think there is a definite mixed bag in, in this plan. And personally, I don't think it's going to be ultimately the way forward for the Greek people themselves. I would posit that the real idea for what really needs to occur in in Greece has actually been underway for a few years now. Since the beginning of the Euro crisis, we've seen in various Greek communities, like in Volos, we saw uh, the rise of, an, uh, of a complementary currency, a, a type of bartering system that was set up by the, uh, the people in Volos um, that was completely going around the Euro system. There weren't enough Euros floating around the economy, so they set up uh, what started as an 800-member grassroots initiative to basically facilitate local business people to trade, and they created a currency called the TEM, the T-E-M, and uh, and and people can read about that online. I hope they do so. Again, this is the type of thing. It's not going to solve the national economy crisis, but it is the only way for a lot of average people who are just struggling to to make ends meet and to get by to actually participate in the economy. And I think that really has to be the key. And once again, we can get lost at, you know, and bewildered looking at these big players, these big central banks and the, the IMF and, and things like this and get and lose in that that forest the actual trees of the people who are just trying to 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 put food on the table. And uh, and I think there's a lot of different ways to do that that doesn't even have to revolve around this international political chicken game that's going on right now. But the fact remains they've got an they've, the fundamental truth of all of this is that Greece can't pay the debt. And regardless of whether they agree to pay the debt or they say we're not going to pay the debt, the fact is they can't pay the debt, at least not in full. So we're not going to, we can maybe kick the can down the road a little further and last a few more months or a year, who knows, I don't know how long it can be extended, but we're going to confront this reality, Greece can't pay the bill. And there's no way of getting around that that I'm able to understand. All the reports indicate that's the truth of the matter. Um, so we're going to deal with this problem. There's going to be some sort of a crash here. There's going to be some sort of a crack-up. Is the crack-up going to be a catastrophe? Or is it merely going to be something of a, a difficult time and an annoyance that's similar to what we saw in Iceland? When they declared, that's it, we're not paying our bills. And everybody's, oh, everything's going to collapse, you're going to burn, you're going to crash and burn. It turned out they had a difficult 18, 24 months, and they were back on track and became one of the stronger economies, uh, at least for a while, as compared to other the other economies in, in the European Union. Are, will Greece emulate Iceland to any, degree, to any degree, or is Greece headed for catastrophe? 
Well, I mean, I think you're right to bring up that example, because I think that is the way that this crack up, this this situation can be made into something potentially revolutionary, potentially mm-hmm. transformative, potentially historical in yeah. nature, um, because there is the concept of odious debt, debt that has been accrued through means that uh, the, the public cannot possibly be put on the hook for because they did not have any say in it. They did not benefit from it. It was all done under the table by corrupt leaders for their own purposes. I think there is a case to be made that Greece's debt is an odious debt and that we can trace this back all the way back to the creation of the, the Greek, um, the, the insertion of Greece into the Eurozone back in the early 1990s with the aid of Goldman Sachs cooking the books and all of the underhanded duplicity of the various leaders who have come in that political office, the revolving door, in the, in the intervening time. I think the debt that's been racked up in the Greek people's name is odious debt and should be overturned or cancelled. But I think the other side of that is that it, that is that is a moral argument to be made, that there is such a concept as odious debt and that the people can and should assert that when they are confronted with the situation like Greece finds itself in right now. But I think you forfeit that moral, moral play, playing field when you say that, well, the next government is going to continue running up debt to pay for all these you know, nationalization of services and all of these things that they're planning to do in their 40-point plan, uh, they're going to obviously create more debt. And I think if you are coming into power saying, this is odious debt, we have to get rid of it, but here's our plan, and it's going to be racking up a lot more debt. Well, yeah, no we're going to get rid of the should. odious debt that's owed to other people, and we're going to yes. create new debt that will be owed to us. Yes, or or that we will make it, take advantage of. And, and, I mean, no one can or should take anyone seriously who's going to say, you know, well, no, we're not going to pay those debts, but, you know, now we want debts. <laughs> I mean, I, I, no one would extend credit to that. And, uh, and I, 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 again, I think that there's a bigger conversation that needs to happen here. But uh, once again, I, I see that the, con- the focus of that conversation at the political level with these political mouthpieces talking in back rooms, deciding the fates of nations, is part of the problem itself. That's part of the issue of what makes odious debt odious, is that all of these deals take place in back rooms between these political leaders. So how are they going to be the ones to decide you know, what, what happens to this debt? And I think if the, if the concept of odious debt has any real meaning in any society larger than that of Iceland, I mean, Iceland is a fairly small country, and you can yeah. kind of that do accomplish different things in a, in a small society like that. But when you get into larger societies and then you start looking at, you know, a piece of the Eurozone and things like that, I mean, it has to be something that's either going to be a popularly understood and, and popularly grassroots movement, or it's going to be political wheeling and dealing and just going to end up in the same place. If we see that Iceland survived not paying its debt, and if it turns out that Greece survives not paying its debt, is that going to have a contagion effect that's going to take other nations? They, right now, they're all being faced with people say, oh, my gosh, the world's going to come to an end if you don't agree to pay your debt. What if it's not that serious? Is this hyperbole? Is the world going to continue to spin even if Greece doesn't pay its debt or maybe if Italy doesn't pay its debt or Portugal or Ireland or Spain? Will they set an example that we can expect other countries to follow when we've probably got about a minute and a half or so before we take our next break? Well, I would say once again that I think that the way that plays out depends on on the actions that are taken from here to solve 
this this problem. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. I mean, if it becomes an example, I mean, it could become an example. We could imagine a scenario in which it becomes an example. We could equally imagine a scenario in which the uh, the current uh, bankster oligopoly that that runs and owns the system and makes the the money out of debt would never want to see a large ringing endorsement of of uh, rejection of debt. So there will be a lot of attempts to undermine the country economically speaking, and and we've already seen that the markets are uh, already playing carnage with Greek uh, bond yields and the like. So I mean, there there's a lot of uh, factors that go into this. Ultimately, I think the chance is there. Absolutely, I think this could be a world historical moment. I'm just extremely skeptical of uh, political leaders like Tsipras or anyone else coming in who's claiming to be able to solve this. I don't think it's going to happen at a political level. It has to come from the people or it won't come at all. Do you think they already, well, let's save those questions for the next segment. We'll take a break for some commercials. James Corbett from the CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, Report.com, and I will be back in a moment on financial survival. Please stay tuned. and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm Alfred Addis here on Financial Survival with my guest, James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. Um, 
Got, let's talk about the Ukraine. Got an article here from Reuters. Headline is Arming Ukraine Could Lead to Escalation of Russian Support. That's from a think tank. And my first response is, you think? I mean, isn't it obvious that if the United States or the West starts arming Ukraine, isn't it obvious that it's going to prompt a stronger response out of Russia? How could it not? I mean, I understand. Uh, yeah, we need I mean, a think tank. Absolutely. We need a think tank for this. <laughs> I mean, we Apparently could get that out of an eighth business. grade. We could get that out of an eighth grade civics class. Yeah, you know, they could say, you know, they ought to be able to figure that out. I think one of the big questions, from my perspective, is what is how strong is Ukraine right now? Is Ukraine? Going the government of Ukraine, will it be able to hold this thing together and continue to resist the rebels and perhaps whatever support Russia's providing? Can they continue this, or are they about out of Schlitz, or where do you think they are? You know, we hear Russia. Oh my gosh, we've the sanctions have caused Russia a lot of a lot of trouble. Right, but what about Ukraine? Are they solid or are they fragile? I would say absolutely fragile uh, in pretty much every sense, um, economically as well as militarily, and in terms of the the situation, in terms of keeping the country together as a functioning uh, nation state in you know early 21st century Europe. Uh, I think it's already, in some ways, the fate has already been sealed. I don't think it's a functioning country in anything but name anymore. And one. Perhaps most the, the the most obvious example of that is the latest from uh, from Poroshenko, who just came out to say we are ready to declare martial law in Ukraine, yeah. and you can even take that from the Union uh, Information Agency, the uh, one of the official Ukrainian uh, news services, where uh, basically they're they're completely ready to go to any limit to try to clamp down. And I think once the government goes to that level and saying that they are ready to declare martial law at a moment's notice, I mean it's already civil war. And I don't think statements like that are showing that the uh, the government is any closer to solving this crisis than they were when it first started. I agree with you. I think any time a government has to stand up and openly say, if you people don't do what we tell you to do, we're going to shoot you. And that's what this essentially amounts to. We'll gun you down. It's evidence not that the government is growing more powerful, and they can kick people around, but rather that they are growing weaker, more desperate, and this is a last grasp at some straws before they crack up. If the government is really powerful, it, it fleeces the sheep every day, and the sheep don't even notice or mind. Uh-huh. But when they say, oh, my gosh, the sheep are going to complain, we'll shoot them, threaten them, threaten to shoot them. That's indication that the government is, is losing its control. I saw that they're talking about establishing checkpoints. There, there's a new law proposed that anyone who criticizes the government in this matter, um, they can go to prison for a number of years. Yeah, the whole thing is becoming an embarrassment. And how does the United States relate in this embarrassment? Do you think they are embarrassed? Do you think the Obama administration or the military, whatever, says, oh, my gosh, this is going to be... You know, this is going to be another disaster, or do they still think they've got a chance to somehow save Ukraine from the rebels? 
If only there was some embarrassment or discomfort with the way things are trending, but unfortunately, the U.S. Uh, government continues to push ahead with this, and the latest is that the U.S. Congress is just uh, now preparing its $1 billion uh, package to arm the U Ukraine government. So, I mean, if there's any sign that there is even second thoughts going on right now about what's happening, well, it's not it's not uh, being conveyed through the uh, the news cycle. And it's, of course, not just centered on Ukraine. There's a lot of different factors that go into this. I mean, uh, another headline from uh, United States European Command, uh, EUCOM.mil, U.S. deploys more warplanes in expanding anti-Russian campaign. I mean, you can't get... Uh, much more blatant than that, and it's it is part of an overall uh, uh, I don't know what to call it war I suppose brinksmanship that is being waged right now, and uh, I think the U.S. is 100% involved in that and 100% willing uh, to to push it as far as it will go. I, I don't see uh, I don't see any sign that the Congress is going to hold back on this billion dollar package or that anyone's going to rethink anything. The only thing that's happening right now is, of course, the negotiations uh, that are taking place in Belarus at the moment. But uh, no one is really expecting there's going to be a diplomatic breakthrough there anytime soon. Do you think that the threat to provide military aid, another billion dollars to Ukraine, do you think that's intended to motivate Russia to settle, to help negotiate a peace settlement right now? Is it, is it more of a bluff than an actual, we're going to send, we're going to send those, the, the arms and munitions to Ukraine, it's a done deal, or is this just a bluff? Well, if it is a bluff, it wouldn't be in line with anything else that's happened so far in this conflict or many of the conflicts in, in uh, the U.S.'s military past. I mean, I think they're going to continue pushing that envelope as far as it will go. And because there wasn't a lot of pushback at the beginning of this, um, when the, 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 the coup-installed regime first took power, I think they're going to continue pushing it. And uh, one imagines that it would have been a matter of a phone call from Putin to Obama at the beginning of all of this to say, you know, there there is a line here. If it, if it is crossed, you know, there will be a war. And that kind of a phone call would have had consequences in terms of what has played out so far. Uh, that that phone call, if it took place at all, obviously didn't include such an ultimatum. So I, I think that there's there's absolutely something that's going on here. And I think there is brinksmanship in terms of Basically, the U.S. is trying to push that envelope as far as it will go. And until there is significant resistance to that, I don't think they're going to back off. If there is resistance, one could imagine they would back down quite quickly. But so far, we haven't seen significant, organized, and, and blatant out in the open resistance. Obviously, the Russians are helping with the, the rebels in Ukraine. Uh, you'd be naive to believe otherwise. But there's nothing, there's nothing diplomatically going on that, that has been called that line in the sand or the, where things have been thrown down on the table. So I think they, uh, the U.S. is just going to keep pushing and see how far they can, they can push this along. There's the lack of negotiation just sort of a random event or does one side refuse to negotiate and if so who is pushing to make this pushing this closer and closer to war who's pushing for war if anyone well it's difficult to see how this is being pushed into war um, by the, the Russian side. I mean, yeah. one obviously sees the ways that they are supporting and militarily supporting what's happening there, but one doesn't see the, the aggression in that 
insofar as obviously the aggression is coming from the West towards the East as part of, as I say, a larger plan that we see taking place through all sorts of different pieces of this puzzle, the new USAF uh, A10 Thunderbolts that have just been deployed in Germany as part of this this buildup that's taking place in Eastern Europe right now, which has to be seen as part and parcel of all of this. I mean, if this was simply a question of Ukraine's internal politics, then clearly, well, what does the US or the Euro- European Union or, or, or Russia have to say about that? But it isn't. It clearly is part of a much larger um, series of events that are taking place right now that that are leading us towards some sort of military confrontation. And uh, again, it's it's horrible to think about that because of where we stand right now in a lot of different respects. I mean, militarily, technologically speaking, what that would be, economically speaking, we're at an extremely vulnerable spot in terms of the global financial system. Um, There's a lot of really horrible consequences to war. And it's important for us to remember that a lot of generations in the past have thought war is impossible. War will never happen. We'll never see an outbreak of war in Europe again, and then World War One happens, or World War Two happens, or whatever. Um, we are no different. Just because we ca- can't imagine a full-scale, large war happening, doesn't mean that it that we're immune to it, and we certainly aren't immune to the consequences of such a, a conflict if it were to take place. If you were the president of Ukraine. And the United States government offered to provide you with a billion dollars worth of weapons right now. Would you take those weapons? It's hard for me to imagine myself in that position because I, I wouldn't understand. be there at all. But, um, uh, well, I, I, again, I mean, we have to keep in mind who the current government in Ukraine is and what side yep. their bread is buttered on. And clearly they have thrown their lot in with the IMF and the European Union and obviously the U.S. military umbrella. So from their perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, but here's for, again, what's going to happen. Yes, well, well, looking at this— children. I mean, this is like giving guns to children and telling them to go to go play. Ukraine is going to be destroyed. And the only way to prevent that is somebody's got to essentially disarm or just say enough. The government, our country, if we give them a billion dollars worth of guns, now you go ahead and shoot these people. Go shoot them. Well, they're going to shoot, you know, the rebels are going to shoot the Ukraine, the Ukraine army. The army's going to shoot the rebels. We're going to have disaster for the nation of Ukraine, and that disaster is certainly going to be enhanced if someone takes another billion dollars worth of firearms. And we know that if they do, or weapons, whatever kind of weapons come in there, we know if they do, Russia's going to be, and it'll be easier for Russia to arm the rebels than it is for the United States to arm the Ukraine government, or at least that's my guess. Does it make any sense? It does from a certain perspective, but you said something interesting there. You said that Ukraine is going to be destroyed, and I think there are two ways of reading that statement. The one is the one that you and I understand, that the people are going to be ravaged, the infrastructure is going to be destroyed, everything is going to, I mean, the the, the actual, not the country in the, the abstract sense, the actual country is going to be decimated. But then the other sense is politically Ukraine is going to be destroyed. And that, I think, is the, the question that's on the table. Will Ukraine be able to hear as as a, uh, as a unit as it is now, or will it crumble, will it split at the seams? And I think 
That is the question that's more important for Poroshenko and his his cronies at this moment. They care more about, the Ukraine, about Ukraine as a political entity than they care, I think, ultimately about the people and the infrastructure and what have yeah. you. They would rather rule over you know, that piece of the map than rule over actual living, breathing human beings. Obviously, if this could be done without the, the carnage and the slaughter, obviously, I'm sure they would try to do that. But at the end of the day, I think their their ultimate goal is to preserve the political power that they have right now. And that that can only be done at this point at the barrel of a gun. So I think in that respect, that's why the billion dollar armament would, would be appealing to the, the government right now. We've talked a little bit about Russia's weak response up until now. Russia really hasn't been made a powerful response to stop this problem. They've kind of just gone along with it and put up with it and figured they'd outlive it, or at least that's the way it appears. I've seen reports, I think, that predict that Putin is perhaps had enough. You've maybe seen him too. Bill Holzer, I think, did an article on it where he says, "Look, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's about at the edge, and he's going to do something." Here's a report from Pravda. that says American experts believe that despite the fact that relations between U.S. and Russia reached worst point since the Cold War, Putin delivered until uh, until Putin delivered until Obama only minor troubles. Uh, Putin is going to hit once, he's going to hit hard, and what they're predicting is that there's a report in Pravda that says Russia has satellite images that prove that the United States government was complicit in 9-11 attacks that knocked down the World Trade Center and also hit the Pentagon. And Putin is allegedly threatening to release that evidence. Do you think that's a, do you think that's a legitimate threat do you think it's likely to happen? Uh, no, in a word, no. Um, I, I think that, uh, that I've seen those types of reports going around. They tend to go around this idea of the mini nukes that supposedly were used at, at the World Trade Center and this type of information. I think it's a lot of old disinformation about 9 11 that's being repackaged uh, by awesome, well known disinformation people. So I don't put any credibility in those reports whatsoever. I'll believe it when I see it. And if it happens, hey, that would be amazing. But I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, the Russians certainly do know about false flag operations and do have the goods on a lot of NATO Gladio type operations that have been being conducted on their doorstep for a long time now and uh, in many different operations, but they haven't said a thing yet. I don't see that changing in the future because fundamentally my reading is these, all of these people, all of the, uh, the leaders here are all gangsters and they may not necessarily be the gangsters on the same side for the same team, but they're all gangsters and gangsters like gangsters in ways that gangsters fight gangsters that aren't necessarily always uh, a right confrontation because they don't want the, the ultimate gangster system to be brought down. They just want to be the gang that's, that's ruling uh, on top. So I think ultimately there's a lot of uh, backroom politics that, that are taking place here. And Putin himself has his own vulnerabilities, his billions uh, stuffed offshore in Cyprus and what have you that I'm sure is his nice little parachute that he can uh, get out uh, whenever he needs to. So I don't think he wants that upset. And I'm sure that the FBI and others already know all about that and uh, how to act, how to stop those types of funds. I think, again, all of these people are gangsters and corrupt. So I don't think I, I mean, fundamentally, I don't think that that kind of confrontation is going to, uh, to develop. I don't think they're ever going to put everything out on the table. Um, I'd love to be proven wrong. And time will tell if I'm wrong. But that's my assessment.
All right, James, thanks very much. Appreciate you being on the program as always. Hope to see you again on what? Uh, will you be here next week or is it? I will be here next the... week, but okay. not the following week. Okay, that's fine. All right, James, thanks very much. James Corbett from thecorbettreport.com. I'm Alfred Addis. This is Financial Survival. Melody and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer, and James Corbett. And I... and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement.
Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, February 8, 2017, about oh, almost seven minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we are live. 855-355-1955. A lot of fives, easy to remember. Just remember five, and then you only got four other numbers. 855-355-1955. That's it. Your voice will get on the air. Anywho, you can also go to our website, theamericanvoice.com, americanvoiceradio.com, avrn.tv, Eh, whichever. It'll all get you there. But anyhow, we have a chat room there. You'll notice they're in there. Uh, they're in there uh, chatting away. Anyhow, you can be chatting away too. Participate in the show. I stop in, look around. During the break, I go in and chat. I was chatting in there earlier, but uh, you know, had to do this. So. I can't uh, talk and type at the same time, but I can read and type at the same time. So if you'll do the typing, I'll do the reading and uh, the talking. So there we go. But if you'd like to do talking, I gave you that number, 855-355-1955. That'll get you uh, on the air. And, well, you'll have to be talking or else I'll hang up on you because, well, that'd be dead air. And that's just, just can't have that. All right, let's see. Did that one. Uh, mm -mm -mm. you know, I, I want to, I want to bring this up again, because it's very important that you understand, because I do encourage people to start groups. Really, folks, you know, alternative media can't do this by themselves, Okay. Alternative media are, are made up of people that basically spend most of the day, most every day, going through things, trying to figure out what's real, what's fake, what's going on, and then let you know. So you can go look it up easily. Not just sit there and sponge it up and say, oh, well, I heard it on the radio, so I'm like, no, 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 no. No, you see... Because there are also posers out there, people posing as alternative media. You know, the mainstream says they're fake news, and, you know, they're not lying. They are. There is fake news. They're called agent provocateurs, and they're funded by, well, the government or people like George Soros, on and on. You have to be aware of this. You can't just go out and start a group and be unaware of this or you will end up in trouble. And if not you, people in your group. And if it's your group, you started it, people start going to jail, you're getting blamed. And rightfully so to an extent because if you didn't do your due diligence in understanding what you're getting into then it is your fault. This isn't a game, folks. This isn't a picnic to go, oh, let's just pack a picnic basket and go have a wonder. No, this is serious business. Because once you start, 
you're going to start ruffling a lot of feathers and people aren't going to like you because the establishment doesn't want to go away. The headline is heads up. Agent provocateurs infiltrate patriot movement. Well, this is not exactly a news flash, is it? I mean, unless it was like, oh, I don't know, 40 years ago. But they declare martial law is the only way. Hmm. In other words, folks, if you start a group, okay, and, you know, you, you're not going to, well, let me see your ID. Where were you born? We're going to give you a test. You know, you're not going to have many people in your group if you do that. You don't need many people in a group. I would never, I would never encourage you to have a group bigger than 50 people. Now, you can have seminars and things of that nature. You know, get your groups all together if there's something information that they all should know but then again you know what we live in the information age the fact is people come into your group and start saying things like well we need martial law martial law is the only way it's the only way martial law is the only way it's the only way to get our way is martial law uh, well, you know what? You need to take a good look at those people. Now, I'm not saying every one of them is an agent provocateur, because some people legitimately feel that way. I don't agree with them, but, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. I don't have to. They can legitimately believe what they say, but you've got to look at them. Because, see, this is the kind of thing... Guys like George Soros want. They're the ones that want martial law. Oh, let's see here. Now, this person here. Oh, I'm trying to. Okay, here we go. Reaction. Agent provocateurs infiltrate conservative groups and call for martial law. The actions above, from Soros funding being behind riots in the U.S. to group organizers calling for more militant protests, meaning riots, is all geared towards causing a harsh reaction from law enforcement, the Trump administration, and setting up potential violent confrontations with members of the Patriot Movement, who largely was supportive of Donald Trump during the election cycle. Well, I don't know about support. You know, I know a lot of people out there do truly support Donald Trump. But I'm not so sure patriots supported Donald Trump. I think patriots were more opposed to Hillary Clinton than they were supportive of Donald Trump. And they couldn't swallow another Bush administration either. And Ted Cruz is a weasel. I mean, you know, Marco Rubio is a joke. Closet homo. But anyway. So, you know, just because somebody voted for Trump and is saying, yeah, let's see what he can do. 
doesn't mean he's a you know terribly big supporter of him. But anyway, in one manner they have succeeded, as we note, a number of states proposing protest bills specifying harsh punishments against protesters that are breaking laws. Yet there are already laws on the books against riots, vandalism, looting, and other actions targeted in these bills. So enforcing existing laws should suffice without violating Americans' constitutional right to peacefully assemble. Where Soros and his merry band of color revolutionaries could not succeed in getting patriots to push for martial law to be implemented in the U.S. in order to combat these violent militant protesters and that there is where their agent provocateurs come in. On February 3rd, 2017, I witnessed an email discussion from a Patriot group. And while I'm not sure how how my name got on their email list, the conversation was quite disturbing in one manner and yet comforting in another. One of those participating in the discussion stated, I'm only stating the fact. If Trump promises to clean up gangs in most major cities, martial law is the only way. Well, that was the disturbing part. And it's also a ridiculous, you know, why, why, (laughs) why would say, let's just say, okay, let's say Trump decides, okay, I'm sending the army into South Chicago, and they're going to kill everybody with a gun in that city. We catch you, we're killing you. You run from us, we're killing you. Let's just say he decides to do that. How is that mar- how how does that constitute or or bring necessary martial law? Okay, let's just say 20 of our cities he does that too. Not that we have the manpower to do anything like that, but just let's say they did it. How does that constitute a national martial law? That doesn't affect me. I don't live in a city. I don't care if they all burn to the ground. But they probably would declare, you know, martial law. Although, you know, they didn't declare martial law September 11, 2001, did they? No, as a matter of fact, Dick Cheney apparently, uh, you know, the vice president with no authority at all to do so, apparently told the Air Force to stand down, and they did. You know, that's as sad as Homeland Security, and I say that because ICE is a part of Homeland Security. It's about as sad as Homeland Security actually paying attention to what Ann Coulter called a pissant judge, which he is, who ruled against Trump's travel ban with absolutely no authority to do so, and then they just started rolling back in. Uh... You know, you got to understand something, folks. Over certain areas, the President of the United States has authority. Immigration is one of those things. And if you're a liberal communist pig, well, do you just forget Barack Obama, who told the state of Arizona, 
stand down, you are not allowed to enforce existing law concerning immigration because that's our job and we've decided not to do it, so nobody gets to do it. And it stood. You forget that? So when another president who got duly elected comes in and says, yeah, that's a bunch of crap, we're stopping this right now, oh, all of a sudden now the courts have authority to say, oh, no, you can't. No, you can't. Only Obama had the exclusive power to do that. Not you. Sure, you're the duly elected president, but you're not Obama. So you don't get to do that. He only did, right? That judge should be impeached and locked in prison for treason. Of oath, at least. The comforting part, though, was how everyone else that was participating spoke up strongly against the notion of martial law for any reason being implemented now that the shoe is on the other foot. To use his wording, now that Meaning now that Trump is in the White House rather than Obama or Hillary, one participant also mentioned that some in the group thought he was a plant. Well, that, you know, you go to any Patriot group, I mean, even ABR's chat room from time to time, people start calling each other a plant and, you know, you're an agent, you're this, you're that, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, you know, whether it is or it isn't, I mean, you're going to get that no matter where you go. There's going to always be somebody who's going to call somebody a plant, which you watch out for those people, folks. You watch out for people name calling. Let me tell you something. Look around. Look at the mainstream media. What are they doing? Oh, they're fake news. They're fake news. That's fake news. They're fake news. He's lying. They're lying. Well, yeah, they're busy pointing a finger at everybody's fake news and everybody's lying when really... They're the fake news, and they're lying. They're just hoping by pointing the finger at everybody else, nobody will look at them. Okay? So put on your thinking cap and realize this is serious business. While that discussion pertained to cleaning up gang-infested areas and drug cartels, just one day later, a comment came in at ANP from someone noticing the same disturbing trend of supposed conservatives and patriots calling for martial law. You know, folks, anybody who thinks martial law is a good plan, okay, I'm not going to call anybody names. They haven't properly thought it through. Okay? Just like anybody wishing we were in a revolution hasn't really thought it through. Now, listen, I firmly believe that the only way this country is ever going to have a chance to right itself is through a blood-soaked revolution. Doesn't mean I want that, because I don't want that. You know, I'm, hey, be nice if it all happened after I'm long dead, right? You know, I don't want to be in, I don't want to partake. Who wants to be in that? Now, necessary and, and what you want are sometimes two different things. Hopefully, most of you out there don't want a blood-soaked revolution. Although, you know, the reality of it is, 
Might be just uh, what the doctor ordered, but uh, I think we got a caller. Go ahead, caller. Good evening, Frank. Jay from Washington. Hey, Thank Jay from Washington. As a matter of fact, that puke. Call. Hey, that puke judge is from your state. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, he's up from up there in Seattle, which is a completely different entity than the state of Washington itself. Just like Portland, Oregon is to the state of Oregon. It's completely different. It's the socialist, communist stronghold mecca. It's um, it's run by a homo, the mayor. What's his name? Ed Murray. Our whole state's run by a lesbian. Well, she's kind of a hotel moto, is she not? She's kind of... Yeah, that's what she says. But you know what? If you're a woman and you've had sex with a woman, you're a lesbian. Yeah. I don't care what you call yourself. Right, 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 right. But the reason I called in was, and sometimes I feel like you're talking directly to me, because I have, and I still, to this day... Well, actually, I would would have said Bob. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, that's true. (laughs) But you're talking of... I don't think I've ever said martial law, but that's probably what would happen once once a revolution really starts or takes hold. Well, and Jay, if it, you know, it, it, it was that article speaking directly to you, not me. You know, I, I was reading an article here. I understand. You must get around. <laughs> but it it does, I guess, speak to my mindset, and because and I have you know been you know shunned from other groups and. And and called it a kook and a, and a nut job and a hothead and the gun talk and even yeah but from the, yeah but fa- from yeah, listen family can be cruel well not just family even <laughs> from people that you would think would agree with me and I won't mention I would mention a name on the air but it's not a competing network but the gentleman does a podcast and he's a prominent white nationalist let's just say that and okay. I've even gotten a little bit of you know tone it down. What do you call it? Uh, a counseling from there, uh, <laughs> an intervention. Did somebody? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but hear me out, because uh, hear me out. You're a bit older than I am, and you've been doing this longer than I have. Where have we really gotten in the last, say, 25? Let's maybe let's not go back 50 years. Let's just say 25, maybe 30 years. Where has our movement really gotten? What have we really achieved? And I'll just let you kind of maybe answer that for a second, because I have my own answer. Well, actually, no, you know, in the last 20 years, I've been involved, so I can speak to that. But, you know, the thing is, but you can also go back and listen to the 1968, you know, recordings off of LP of people putting out a lot of the same information that we hear going around to this day, because Mm -hmm. it's. It's tr- it was true then. It's true now. Right, it's right. just the there truth. Are some, right. There are parallels. There are some things. And I I same. can tell you, and and this is, and I'm sure there's other things too. But just from my perspective, and and this is factually based. What I have seen is 20 years ago when I would tell people things about the UN, the New World Order. You know uh, how the government is. Uh, turn communist, you know, uh, name it. I was a kook. I was a nut. I was a conspiracy theorist, uh, theorist, crazy man, you know. Well, there's still some people that say that, but a lot less. And and, I, okay, and I would tend to agree with you there. But So the movement but the- has basically succeeded in making many, many more people aware. And I think Donald Trump's election is evidence of that i i would agree with you absolutely I, and i can't it gets you know you can't disagree with that so i won't disagree with it but the way i would answer it or my answer to that would be 
we're just really, it seems like we're talking in circles. And that's what, you know, okay, yeah, we're maybe opening people's eyes, but we have less freedoms than we have did 25 years ago. We certainly have, have less liberty than we had, had 25 years ago. Our country is a hundredfold, probably a thousandfold worse off than it was 25 years ago. So in that sense, or in that respect, we're really kind of getting, we're not really getting anywhere. And I think the other side relishes the fact that we're not willing to really just step up and say that's enough. And I mean, with a re- with armed revolution. I'm sorry that I don't know any any other way to cut it. We can't talk our way out of this any longer. We just can't. Well, and you know, that's listen, what they want us to do. To they a degree, want us to keep talking. To a degree, I can see what you're saying, but I, I think you know that you're way ahead, you're way out ahead of yourself on it. Because, all right, you know, you get frustrated, you want to kick some butt. I get that. But I don't think the the proper step at this point is a revolution or a civil war. Why don't we start with something as simple as, gee, if I want to pay my money and I want to go see some conservative homo talk bad about the liberals... And some thug comes up and wants to start causing trouble. Why don't I just beat him into a bloody pool of blood on the sidewalk? Why don't I start there? Um, no, okay, I don't. Okay, fine. Then let's start there. I but mean, because I guess... the thing is, these people at this point they need to be sat down hard. That look, this this behavior is not going to yes. be tolerated. And yes. listen, Snowflake, you know, just because these people think they're all scared of you for whatever reason. And, and, you know, this is a sad thing, too, because I've seen this so many – in so many different times. And, and, hey, I hate to say it, but it's true. And white guys, a lot of white guys, are afraid of black men just because they're black. Well, that's something that was instilled in them. I don't know where. It was not instilled in me or my brothers by my father. Not and me so I don't know why that is, but I do see that. And here's the thing, and this is kind of getting off course just slightly, but see, but black people respect white people, you know, that don't placate them more. They just do. That's my experience. Well, they work or, well, or anywhere, they're like, you know, Jay. That's pretty much everybody, though. Do you respect ass-kissing sure. yes men Hell that no. just want to, you know, oh, yes, Jay, no. you're so wonderful, whatever you right, say, Jay, right. you know? It's like, gosh, get away from me. You make me exactly. sick. You know, right. it's like somebody who's saying, hey, Jay, I think you're out of line, man. It's black like, what? Can tell, what? Black people can tell when white people are placating him because a lot of white people, and you you know this. Sure. They, they, they act differently. They start talking differently. And they, they just start act, acting abnormal in blacks. They, they're, you know, hey man, they're going to scoop that up and, and they're going to they're going to brutalize you because of that. But getting back to the what you said and, and kind of where I'm coming from is I don't think we can talk our way out of this. And you alluded to these people need to be sat down hard. And I would say you're absolutely because the only thing right now that they're the other side is going to understand Frank is violence, direct violence. Well, they're counting on the fact that, you know, they, they're they going to get violent. They've already gotten violent. Yes, they and, do it often. And that they figure everybody's just going to be afraid of them and allow them to throw their little fit like, you know, like you'd let your, like you'd let your kid go stomp his feet and throw rocks around in the yard because he's mad. You know, and yeah, parents used to do that. Uh, my parents would let me do that until... 
I threw a rock through one of the windows. And then guess what? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. wasn't out in the yard anymore. I was in the house getting my ass whooped. That's mm-hmm. where I was at. Because, you know, it, it was made very clear to me that kind of behavior will not be tolerated. You can get mad. You can stomp your feet. You can make noise. You can do all that stuff. You start breaking things, you're in trouble. Well, okay, let me ask you this. The, and we know the other side. Just as recently as, what, last week down at the Berkeley, they had this, they had these riots. They call them protesters. But they're riots. And it's, it's violent. That's what, riots are violent. Do you think that... There's, do you think that the, I don't know how to phrase this, how effective do you think that is? Because I think it, in some re- ways it is pretty effective for the, when they do that, when violence ensues. I think it's certainly well, more effective than talking your way out of it. I guess my point is we need to start doing that. We need to start doing maybe our own little bit of pocketed violence, okay, and then maybe we won't have to get our guns out of the safe. Well, the thing about it is, you know, that sort of stuff is effective once or twice till everybody gets used to it then everybody starts getting pissed about it and then somebody says that's it next time that happens i'm going down there with my gun and these protesters will stop and you know when you say riot versus protest you know that thing at berkeley started out as a peaceful protest until that group showed up in their black Mm -hmm. ski masks yeah. And started smacking people and then throwing bricks through windows, and in, in, then the riot ensued. Because you go into a crowd and start hitting people and breaking things, you're going to get a riot at almost anywhere. You go into, yeah, a, go into a rock concert and start just, just cold cock a couple of people. <laughs> right. See right. what happens, man. Before, not before too long, like almost right away, you'll have 20,000 people in a big riot. Absolutely. And they're not even, they don't even have a cause, okay? <laughs> they don't have a cause. They're <laughs> right. just rioting because somebody hit me. Yep, food fight, you know. Yeah, I mean, food this is fight. how things go. And this is, you know, and it it is effective at first. It's like anything else, you know, the shock value of it. Okay, ooh, we're well, all I mean, shocked. But what else, then what else, but what is so different, what, what is so different than a shooting war? The Revolutionary War, the, the Civil War, World War II, Vietnam, armed conflict to get things done to, to you know, to advance your ideology or, or to, for, to whatever. What's the difference? Well, there you go, trying to use common sense again, Jay, and that's just not going to work because, you know, I mean, I've said that forever because, you know, I mean, you got the government here with, uh, what are we at war with? Well, everybody, every everybody. <laughs> they're looking. They're 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 looking through the yellow pages every day. Yeah, who, to find a new uh, enemy. Yeah, who are we already? Who are we already bombing? You know, right. I mean, you know, so yeah. Okay, so we have a government that's at war with everybody, bombing and killing civilians all the time, telling me that violence is not the answer. Exactly. Really, violence <laughs> seems to be the answer for you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. And I don't have a B-1 Lancer bomber, you know, with cruise missiles. I mean, give me a break. I know, and I've always wanted one of those. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, you can, and you could probably fly one. They're that easy to fly, honestly. Wow. Anyway, I just wanted to call in. I never get of, anything I want. See? Well, <laughs> start a riot. Well, yeah, well, there you go. I'll start a riot. I want my B-1 bomber. 
I want a B2 bomber. That's it. Those B1s are kind of cool looking, but they're not as good as the B2s. So I want no, one of those. No, no. Of course, if it but wasn't anyway. for the computers on those things, they wouldn't fly. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to chime in on that. And nothing's really going to change my mind. I'm sorry. Uh, I just think that that's really the only way out now. I think we're just too far deep. There's no more talking, and we can talk all we want. And we all have things to say, and some of it makes sense. But for the most part, nobody's really listening, I don't think. Yeah, maybe a few heads are getting turned, and maybe a couple of minds here and there are getting changed. And maybe people. Here's the thing, Jay. And I, to an extent, I agree with what you're saying because I look back at history, and you don't look at the Declaration of Independence as a bunch of talking, do you? No. Well, it was. Okay? And before well, the Declaration of Independence, they have almost almost the same document, and it's titled something along the lines of the necessity for taking up arms. Okay? Really? Yeah, and, and it's almost identical to the uh, Declaration I'll of Independence. I'll have to look that up. I was not yeah. unaware of that. Yep. Uh, the necessity of taking up arms, it's, it was like the ye- a year before the Declaration of Independence, and it's almost worded exactly the same. Oh, that's interesting. You know, but it is just words. But the thing is, and nobody read it and said, that's right, let's kill them. No. But once the killing started, all of a sudden now, you had your enemies and you had some allies. Allies who had read those documents, who had thought about those words, who had said, you know, hmm, I I get it. And then when it started... They pick their sides, okay, and and that's that's the value of talking. Sure, and I, I there, yeah, that's uh, what do you call it? Diplomacy, whatever you want to call it. Before the, you know, the it's justifying the your actions because yeah. you know what? If you just you know go that's it and start killing everybody, people go, well, you're no different than that maniac over there. You're well, both a couple of maniacs. That, uh, this is. One of my responses sometimes to people that say, "Man, you're you know you're just you're a hothead and this is blah blah blah," and I, my response is, and I'm not a huge expert on you know the times back then, the founding and all that, but I am pretty certain that you know the, at the Constitutional Convention that you know it was pretty heated. In fact, there were times when they threatened to leave and go get their muskets and come back and and, and start shooting people. And threatened to get axes and lop people's heads off. These were heated arguments, and there was there was the threat of violence. And well, people had had enough, and it was it was. Some of them were saying, "We're that's it. We're we're not talking about this anymore. We're being brutalized by the king, and we're not talking about this." Do you anymore. know? We uh, have to do something. Do you know why they did the Declaration of Independence? Why they did the conventional, uh, the uh, Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia? Well, I, I guess there's a, f- a few reasons. I don't. I don't. It's the one you're looking for, just to maybe change a few things. No, the, the articles re- of confederation. No, the reason is, is because they tried to do it the year prior in New York City, but the people in New York City got wind of what they were doing, and they run them out of town. Uh, okay. And they didn't ask them to leave. They told them to leave or die. Because now, who would this have been? This would have been people loyal to the crown. No, this perhaps? was people who liked the Articles of Confederation see. and see okay. the Constitution okay. as a creation of a monster government centralized yeah. king. Yeah. And then I have a, a book 
called the uh, secret proceedings of the Constitutional Convention. You've mentioned that before. I have one similar. It's called the it's called the fifty five men or the fifty six men. Well, this Something isn't like very. This is not a very interesting. I mean, it's in book form, but it's really not a book per se. What it is is uh, Chief Justice Yates. He was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of New York. Mm-hmm. He was taking the minutes. So basically, he was the stenographer. You know, he was writing down what everybody was saying in their arguments. It's pretty dry in, in a lot of spots because it's just people getting up, making speeches, and then somebody else getting up and, you know, either agreeing right, or disagreeing right. with that. And The book uh, I have is similar. It was very contentious, and a lot of them were saying, look, we were sent here to amend the Articles of Confederation, not create a new government. But that's what they did, and that's, that's the did. danger in a constitutional convention. Oh, hey, look, absolutely. I'm not in favor of a constitution. I'm not in favor of one. Don't and any conservative either. that is, I, you know, they're misinformed because that's what the left wants. Are you kidding me? Well, and, and, you asked, and, and you asked, well, what have we accomplished? I can tell you one thing that we have accomplished, and it's a good thing. And, and you know, for my small part, I accomplished something on a personal level. See, oh, what was it? Probably 15 years ago or so, the Constitutional Convention was making its way through the state legislatures. And they were approving it because they got a slick, chroma color, you know, magazine type of... (laughs) You know, folder full of why we should do this. And brochure. They had their little fancy brochure. That's right. And it took a while for patriots to organize and, and, you know, get going, right, on this and start contacting their state legislators, which is difficult because you got 50 states. You got, you know, you got like little mini federal governments in every state, right? And yeah. You, gotta, yeah. And, you know, you need to really get on it if you want to do something. So. It was organized, and it took some uh, a while, and this thing had already gained a head of steam. It was it was moving ahead, and uh, here in Oregon, I called I, I called my uh, state representative, and it was a female lawyer, and at the time I don't know if we still are we were in the uh, the district of the same district Ashland was in. Because they gerrymander the thing to where, mm-hmm. you know, there's a like a mountain range between me and Ashland. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with that, that part of the neck of the woods, yep. But we're actually fairly close to them, you know, on the map. I mean, if you draw a line, you know, hey, you're pretty close, right? Right. Yeah, right. well, there's a mountain range between us, and we don't associate, right? They're, they're on that side. We're on this side. We associate with the people over here, even though they're further away. Because I'm not going over a mountain every, you know, that that's not easy, okay? So, but that's my representative at the time. So I call her, and of course she's a Democrat. And I asked her, how are you voting on this? And she says, oh, I'm voting for it. It's, you know, it's a great idea. And I'm going, no, it's not a great idea. Uh, you know, and I, I talked to her for a little bit. And I said, if I send you information, will you read it? And she said, yes, you, you send it to me and I will read it. I sent it to her. Oregon voted on it. It did not pass. And I uh, went and checked, you know, how did my representative, you know, how did my my representative mm-hmm. vote? And she voted no. Well, that was good. So, and and 
we didn't have a constitutional convention because other people in other states did exactly the same thing. Okay? So we have accomplished things. If it wasn't for the patriot movement, things would be far, far worse in this country, and Donald I Trump totally would have agree. never been elected. I, total, I totally agree. I can't argue with that at all. You know, so we have accomplished things. We, we haven't accomplished everything, and we haven't won the war. But, hey, you know, we're, hey, we're underfunded, undermanned, and, you know, we're doing the best we can. And we're still able to sit here and have a conversation, and the lights are still on, and we can still run to the grocery store and, and get groceries. And we're not in a martial law revolution type civil war situation, which I don't want either. But see, I have this tendency to, you know, be kind of bullheaded and, and keep coming back to the fact that, well, at some point, I would like, it's at some point for us to, for the talking to, because things aren't going to improve fast enough, or because things are going to, in other words, I believe things are going to continue to get worse. However, gradually, they just are. And that's not going to benefit us. Well, Jay, are you prepared to kill the next two generations, all of them? I mean, well, because we can't I'm pick and choose. To do, because, I, you know, the I'm thing is, that's what it's going to take, Jay. I understand, Frank. Because I do. These, these two generations coming behind us are pathetic. We're, we're doomed. I've had the conversation with a couple of people in the past week, and we're doomed. Honestly, these kids can't think for themselves. These are – some of them are – well, hey, when you're 20 years old, I, I consider you an adult. And when you break down and cry, just because you had were, were asked a, a question, uh, there's something wrong. And that's yeah, that's where, a third. That's a third grader. Okay, that's where we that's are. That's a third grader. Yeah, you know, now, if you're in third grade and somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer. Okay, you break down and cry. Yeah, I get it. You know, you're a third grader. This happens. You know, but <laughs> 20 years old. Sorry. You have uh, some mental problems. It's it's critical thinking. It's and and that's part of the public school system. And, it, and and it's really our fault. You know, we can blame the public schools and we can blame the government. It, but it's really us that have just really sat back and let it happen. And my point, I keep coming back to, is man, I'm I'm done talking about it. And I tell people that and nobody really likes to hear it. I'm so and and I I get it, but. Well, um, Jay, I guess I'm bullheaded. Let me ask you then. Yes, sir. How many people did you kill last week? I didn't kill anybody last week. Then I guess you're not done talking about it, <laughs> are you? <laughs> you well, know, I that's, mean... a, that's you know that's yeah that's I don't know that that really applies. I mean, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, look, well, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I might sound like I'm, I'm not agreeing with you but that isn't really the case because i don't see and that doesn't mean there isn't a way it just means i don't see any way this country gets turned around other than a miracle you know which could happen but other than a miracle i don't see any way this country gets turned around you know in a meaningful way sure we can say okay we're going to swerve left or swerve right and that's what we've been doing that's what we've been doing exactly but nobody stops the car and turns it around and starts heading back to where we came from that's okay i would be satisfied i guess if we just did that you know and and it does boil down okay we elected trump but for the most part we we keep putting the same well, and I yeah, we're swerved, we swerved right 
That's all. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, McCain, well, Pelosi, all of these people keep getting back into Congress, and these are the same people that despise us and want nothing but bad for us, and we just keep allowing them. Well, what I believe is, back. you know, Trump's uh, – and anybody who gets elected and, and says, okay, look, immigration's a big problem. We've got to take care of it. That's right. That That's absolutely right. Uh, any nation that's in the process of being invaded needs to take care of that first. Yes, we have lots of other problems. You know, that's like being in a house and going, well, gee, the pipes are leaking. Uh, I've got faulty wiring over there. And, uh, you know, ah, that that got a little dry rot over there. Oh, but wait, the house is on fire. You or see, the front door's left open. I'm going to have to deal with the house being on fire before I worry about any of this other crap, right? Right. Because right. if I don't, then I don't, like, there's no point. Right. So immigration is very important. That is the house on fire. So we have to stop that, and we have to fix that. And it can be, that can be done. And But then after that, I mean, look, it, it just doesn't stop, man. I mean, the education system has to be completely gutted and discarded because... Well, we already have two generations that are worthless. If mm-hmm. we don't cut that thing off at the knees, it's It'll just going to keep happening. It'll keep happening, yes. You know, and then go on and on. You know, yeah, oh, and well, then we got to do this and we got to do that. We got a lot of problems because there have been forces at work to destroy this nation for 150 years. Yeah, at least. I would go back even further before pre-revolutionary times, but what's the point, you know? You know, but the thing is, it's it, we have a lot of problems, but we got to put the fire out first. You know, I mean, because, hey, fixing your plumbing in a burning house is kind of stupid. Well, that's what I encourage people to do. I mean, okay, put the fire out. And the only way to really do that short of a shooting war is to call your representatives and just, you know, read them the riot act and don't be afraid to do it. I like, you and know what, what is the deal with this judge up there, man? A district court pissant judge. Just, he's a federal, it's a, he's a federal judge. He's the, yeah, but he's a federal district yeah, court judge. Right. He's not even a circuit court judge. He's a pissant. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't read any of the articles. I mean, he's a dirtbag, obviously. And, I mean, why doesn't Trump just fire him? Well, he I, needs I don't understand. to be impeached. Or, or that. Yeah, well, he can't but, be fired. You know, he, I mean. Well, yes, he could if I was president. Oh, yes, he could. <laughs> he was appointed by one, and now the, the, I'm the new president, and I don't care. You're fired, and I would send U.S. Marshals to free, escort him out of the building or arrest him. That's how you get things done. Now, I know that might sound kind of banana republic, but we're kind of a banana republic. No, you have well, a point. Maybe we should. Well, maybe we should start doing that, and then these judges. How dare you defy in the executive branch? Just well, and obey laws, and that's what they're doing. Well, it is, and and look, if it's like something that Trump said, okay, uh, I'm doing an executive order that uh, I don't know, whatever, something he has, right. no, or something he has no right to do. But you know what? Right. Immigration. Look, we don't have to look back except to Obama. Okay, Obama told the state of Arizona, no, you can't, you can't enforce existing federal law because that is exclusive mm-hmm. to and it me. it wasn't just Arizona, it was Alabama and Indiana To well. me, exclusive to me, not the yeah. federal government, but the office of the president, to yep. me. And I wrote an executive order that says do not enforce the federal law. So you can't either. And no court overturned that. Exactly. 
So if you have a right to say, well, I'm in charge of immigration and I don't have to enforce it if I don't want to, then, well, if somebody gets in there who wants to enforce it, then he has the same right. But no, now all of a sudden some podunk judge Mm -hmm. comes up and says, oh, I have more power than the president of the United States. Oh, well, and we let them get away with it. This is the other part that kind of P.O.s me, is how we let them get away with it. You know know why little bow tie wearing pieces of garbage like that judge up there, why they get away with it? Because, see, he's still breathing air. Exactly. Exactly. Nobody's taking him out. See, nobody has said, oh, yeah? Exactly. You're not impeached. You're not fired. You're dead. You're dead. You're hung by, by, by the neck until dead. Well, you're just from a, a missing, tree. whatever. You're a missing person. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. The thing is, it's like, look, y'all think you can get away with this because nobody has hold it, held anybody accountable. Nope. And look, hey. I'm not, you know, necessarily, I'm, I'm certainly not against it either, but I'm not a promoter of vigilantism. But, hey, the government was instituted for one reason and one reason only, and that is to protect our rights. And if they're not going to do it, then we're going to have to do it ourselves. That's my point, you know, and I just, exactly, that's my point. And I just, uh, I get distressed sometimes, and just like you do, and I'm sure everyone else does, but... He's still, like you said, he's still breathing air, you know, and he's smirking, and he's a disgusting piece of garbage, and, and it just distresses me. And well, I, I sure hope they find a way to, to hold him accountable for, for this. You know, I really do, because if for no other reason, it's not just to punish him. It's to make him an example. That's right. Oh, oh fine. You can defy me. Sure yeah, you can. you can defy me. And that'd and be the last or That'd be the last. And what what happened to him is what's going to happen to you too. Go ahead. Yep. But you know now we look at it. Well, what's what has happened to him? Nothing. Nothing. Well, he's a hero up here. He's the hero judge up here, obviously. Well. well, well yeah. You know what? I mean, uh, what? What? Hey, aren't most heroes dead? Yeah. Well, I come think to that's think a good it. policy in this in this <laughs> case. You know, myself. Come to think of know. it. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll let you get back to your show. Uh, I see it's getting close to the end here, and I'd like to hear your closing comments, so I appreciate you taking my call. All right. Well, thanks, Jay. Thanks for uh, calling in. You're welcome. Take care, Bob. All right. Well, I would get to closing comments, but it it appears I have another caller. Go ahead, caller. Hey, Frank. It's the Chaz in Arizona again, and I wanted to get in earlier on that conversation. Uh, uh, because basically what we're doing, it appears, is waiting for a critical mass of consciousness of people that have, have collectively said, we're done, that's it. You guys get to flock out of our country, period. Well, and it's gonna... go ahead. Oh, well, somebody in the chat room earlier had posted some stuff about uh, green card holders. Because I had mentioned something about that, and they made a real good point here about, uh, here it is, Uh, some of the responsibilities as a permanent resident, okay? You are required to obey all laws of the United States, the states, and localities, uh, you know, and then it's required to file your income tax, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You are expected to support the democratic form of government not to change the government through illegal means. Okay, now, Muslims coming in here want to impose Sharia law. 
Yep. Well, uh, I'm sorry. That's not the democratic form of government. And, and you know, no. I, I'm disturbed to see this anyway, expected to support the democratic form of government. We don't have a democratic. We're not supposed to have a democratic form of government. We're supposed to have a Republican form of government. A representative Republican tax. Yeah, but the Constitution just says a Republican form of government. As a matter of fact, it's not we're supposed to have. It's the federal government guarantees to every state a Republican form of government. And you've got to bear in mind that what has transpired right up from under everybody's nose is that the government has been split into two entities. One, a communist-based entity, and the other one, the uh, Constitution. Yeah, well, yeah, but the constitutional side of the government is bankrupt. They don't have any money. You see any gold and silver coin of the realm floating around? There, there ain't any. Understood. You know, and if there ain't any money, you're bankrupt. Well, and if you're bankrupt, well, you you don't operate, and they're not operating. You know, they're a shell, an empty shell at that. I think my my opinion mm-hmm. is that every one of these officers wear two hats. They wear the one of the uh, communist government that pays them, or you know, kind of pretends to pay them with Federal Reserve notes. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they take an oath to the United States of America. And, uh, you know... Whoa, whoa, whoa. They that... don't take an oath to the United States of America. They take an oath to the United States. That is a corporation. Well, it depends. It really no, does. That's the way it falls out. Well, uh, no, but you, you got you to gotta understand that, okay, like the 14th Amendment, the 13th Amendment. When it refers to the United States, it also says, like the 13th Amendment says, United States, their authority, right? Plural. Uh, United States. It doesn't say United States of America. It says United States. But it uses the plural, their authority, meaning that's the United States, as in several states. Then in the 14th Amendment, it says United States, the Authority. Singular. See, mm-hmm. things changed. Those are two different, even though they say United States, they're two different kinds of United States. One is That's the United States, <laughs> you know, because it'd be too easy if they said United States of America means this and United States means that. See, people They've would catch on. People would catch on to that. Law. But everything's United States now. And you yeah, got to figure, and, you, and you're supposed to figure out, well, which one do you mean? And there's no way to do that. Oh, wait, unless we ask. Mm-hmm. Are you a citizen of the United States? Well, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? You know, I can't, I can't understand that unless you, you tell me what you mean. Because, hey, you go look through the U.S. Code, United States has all kinds of different definitions. Hey, yeah. som- sometimes it counts Washington, D.C., sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it counts pa- uh, Puerto Rico, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, it's like, well, what? what? Well, those are, those are the territories of Washington, D.C. 
And that is a corporation. But nevertheless, that is owned and controlled by the IMF and World Bank. But nevertheless, from title to title, from section to section, what they mean by United States differs. Well, I my uh, supposition here is no. When they say United States, they are talking about the corporate United States because they probably have very little understanding of what uh, constitutional America is all about. Or if they do, they know exactly what they're doing and are intentionally subjugating it. Well, yeah, and I think those people are very few uh, that actually know what they're doing because most of them I don't think really understand or care what they're doing. I'm inclined to agree with that. You know, but nevertheless... However, we can't I've presume anything like that. We got to ask. What do you mean by that? You know, anytime somebody says United States, make them tell you, well, what do you mean? What's your definition of United States? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Then I can say, no, I'm not. Oh, it's District of Columbia. And it's, no, then I'm no, I'm not a citizen. Of that. Exactly. Try again. You know. How about an American national? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm not sure what that, you know, again, everything has so yeah. many meanings. I, you know, myself, I just, look, I am a citizen of the state of Oregon, and by that citizenship, I am a citizen of the United States of America, as styled in the Articles of Confederation. You know, I mean, that's as close as I can come to what I mean. And, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, and who are you? <laughs> so. I'm Chaz in Arizona. There you go. <laughs> hey, Chaz, in Arizona, I don't know what your clock says, but my clock says I'm over time and I got to go. Uh-oh. Yep. Adios, Joe. Okay. Thanks for calling, Chaz. All right, folks, there's the music. I got to go. Thanks for listening. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority. Part 1. The Constitution has no inherent authority or obligation. It has no authority or obligation at all, unless there's a contract between man and man. And it does not so much as even purport to be a contract between persons now existing. It purports, at most, to be only a contract between persons living 80 years ago. This essay was written in 1869. And it can be supposed to have been a contract then only between persons who had already come to years of discretion so far as to be competent to make reasonable and obligatory contracts. 
Furthermore, we know historically that only a small portion, even of the people then existing, were consulted on the subject or asked or permitted to express either their consent or dissent in any formal manner. Those persons, if any, who did give their consent formally are all dead now. Most of them have been dead 40, 50, 60, or 70 years. And the Constitution, so far it was their contract, died with them. They had no natural power or right to make it obligatory upon their children. It is not only plainly impossible in the nature of things that they could bind their posterity, but they did not even attempt to bind them. That is to say, the instrument does not purport to be an agreement between anybody but the people then existing, nor does it either expressly or impliedly assert any right, power, or disposition on their part to bind anybody but themselves. Let us see. Its language is, We, the people of the United States, that is, the people then existing in the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. It is plain in the first place that this language as an agreement purports to be only what it at most really was, that is to say, a contract between the people then existing and, of necessity, binding as a contract only upon those then existing. In the second place, the language neither expresses nor implies that they had any intention or desire, nor that they imagined that they had any right or power to bind their posterity to live under it. It does not say that their posterity will, shall, or must live under it. It only says, in effect, that their hopes and motives in adopting it were that it might prove useful to their posterity as well as to themselves by promoting their union, safety, tranquility, liberty, etc. Suppose an agreement were entered into in this form. We, the people of Boston, agree to maintain a fort on Governor's Island to protect ourselves and our posterity against invasion. This agreement, as an agreement, would clearly bind nobody but the people then existing. Secondly, it would assert no right, power, or disposition on their part to compel their posterity to maintain such a fort. It would only indicate that the supposed welfare of their posterity was one of the motives that induced the original parties to enter into the agreement. When a man, man says he is building a house for himself and his posterity, he does not mean to be understood as saying that he has any thought of binding them nor is it to be inferred that he is so foolish as to imagine that he has any right or power to bind them to live in it. So far as they are concerned, he only means to be understood as saying that his hopes and motives in building it are that they, or at least some of them, may find it for their happiness to live in it. So when a man says he is planting a tree for himself and his posterity, he does not mean to be understood as saying that he has any thought of compelling them, nor is it to be inferred that he is such a simpleton as to imagine that he has any right or power to compel them to eat the fruit. So far as they are concerned, he only means to say that his hopes and motives in planting the tree are that its fruit may be agreeable to them. So it was with those who originally adopted the Constitution. Whatever may have been their personal intentions, the legal meaning of their language so far as their posterity was concerned simply was that their hopes and motives in entering into the agreement were that it might prove useful and acceptable to their posterity, that it might promote their union, safety, tranquility, and welfare and that it might tend to secure to them the blessings of liberty. The language does not assert, nor at all imply, any right, power, or disposition on the part of the original parties to the agreement to compel their posterity to live under it. 
If they had intended to bind their posterity to live under it, they should have said that their object was not to secure to them the blessings of liberty, but to make them slaves of them. For if their posterity are bound to live under it, they are nothing less than the slaves of their foolish, tyrannical, and dead grandfathers. It cannot be said that the Constitution formed the people of the United States for all time into a corporation. It does not speak of the people as a corporation, but as individuals. A corporation does not describe itself as we, nor as people, nor as ourselves. Nor does a corporation in legal language have any posterity. It supposes itself to have, and speaks of itself as having, perpetual existence as a single individuality. Moreover, no body of men, existing at any one time, have the power to create a perpetual corporation. A corporation can become practically perpetual only by the voluntary accession of new members as the old ones die off. But for this voluntary accession of new members, the corporation necessarily dies with the death of those who originally composed it. Legally speaking, therefore, there is in the Constitution nothing that professes or attempts to bind the posterity of those who established it. If then those who established the Constitution had no power to bind and did not attempt to bind their posterity, the question arises whether their posterity have bound themselves. If they have done so, they can have done so in only one or both of these two ways, that is to say by voting and paying taxes. By Sanders Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 2. Let us consider these two matters, voting and tax paying, separately, and first the voting. All the voting that has ever taken place under the Constitution has been of such a kind that it not only did not pledge the whole people to support the Constitution, but it did not even pledge any one of them to do so, as the following considerations show. 1. In the very nature of things, the act of voting could bind nobody but the actual voters. But owing to the property qualifications required, it is probable that, during the first 20 or 30 years under the Constitution, not more than one-tenth, fifteenth, or perhaps twentieth of the whole population, black and white, men, women, and minors, were permitted to vote. Consequently, so far as voting was concerned, not more than one-tenth, fifteenth, or twentieth of those then existing could have incurred any obligation to support the Constitution. At the present time, it is probable that not more than one-sixth of the whole population are permitted to vote. Consequently, so far as voting is concerned, the other five-sixths can have given no pledge that they will support the Constitution. Two. Of the one-sixth that are permitted to vote, probably not more than two-thirds, about one-ninth of the whole population, have usually voted. Many never vote at all. Many vote only once in two, three, five, or ten years in periods of great excitement. No one, by voting, can be said to pledge himself for any longer period than that for which he votes. If, for example, I vote for an officer who is to hold his office for only one year, I cannot be said to have thereby pledged myself to support the government beyond that term. Therefore, on the ground of actual voting, it probably cannot be said that more than one-ninth or one-eighth of the whole population are usually under any pledge to support the Constitution. Three, it cannot be said that by voting a man pledges himself to support the Constitution unless the act of voting be a perfectly voluntary one on his part. Yet the act of voting cannot properly be called a voluntary one on the part of any very large number of persons who do vote. It is rather a measure of necessity imposed upon them by others than by one of their own choice. At this point, I repeat what was said in a former number. In truth, in the case of individuals, their actual voting is not to be taken as proof of consent even for the time being. On the contrary, it is to be considered that without his consent having even been asked, a man finds himself environed by a government that he cannot resist, a government that forces him to pay money, render service, and forego the exercise of many of his natural rights under peril of weighty punishments. He sees, too, that 
other men practice this tyranny over him by the use of the ballot. He sees further that if he will but use the ballot himself, he has some chance of relieving himself from this tyranny of others by subjecting them to his own. In short, he finds himself, without his consent, so situated that if he use the ballot, he may become a master. If he does not use it, he must become a slave. And as he has no other alternative than these two, in self-defense, he attempts the former. His case is analogous to that of a man who has been forced into battle, where he must either kill others or be killed himself. Because, to save his own life in battle, a man attempts to take the lives of his opponents, it is not to be inferred that the battle is one of his own choosing. Neither in contest with the ballot, which is a mere substitute for a bullet, because, as his only chance at self-preservation, a man uses a ballot, it is not to be inferred that the contest is one into which he voluntarily entered, that he voluntarily set up all his own natural rights as a stake against those of others, to be lost or won by the mere power of numbers. On the contrary, it is to be considered that in an exigency into which he had been forced by others, and in which no other means of self-defense offered, he, as a matter of necessity, used the only one that was left to him. Doubtless, the most miserable of men, under the most oppressive government in the world, if allowed the ballot, would use it, see any chance of thereby ameliorating their condition. But it would not, therefore, be a legitimate inference that the government itself that crushes them was one which they had voluntarily set up or even consented to. Therefore, a man's voting under the Constitution of the United States is not to be taken as evidence that he ever freely assented to the Constitution, even for the time being. Consequently, we have no proof that any very large portion, even of the actual voters of the United States, ever really involuntarily consented to the Constitution, even for the time being. Nor can we ever have such proof until every man is left perfectly free to consent or not, without thereby subjecting himself or his property to be disturbed or injured by others. As we can have no legal knowledge as to who votes from choice and who from the necessity thus forced upon him, we can have no legal knowledge as to any particular individual that he voted from choice, or, consequently, that by voting he consented or pledged himself to support the government. Legally speaking, therefore, the act of voting utterly fails to pledge any one to support the government fails to prove that the government rests upon the voluntary support of anybody. On general principles of law and reason, it cannot be said that the government has any voluntary supporters at all, till it can be distinctly shown who its voluntary supporters are. 4. As taxation is made compulsory on all, whether they vote or not, a large proportion of those who vote no doubt do so to prevent their own money being used against themselves. When, in fact, they would have gladly abstained from voting if they could thereby have saved themselves from taxation alone, to say nothing of being saved from all the other usurpations and tyrannies of the government. To take a man's property without his consent, and then to infer his consent because he attempts by voting to prevent that property from being used to his injury is a very insufficient proof of his consent to support the Constitution. It is, in fact, no proof at all. As we can have no legal knowledge as to who the particular individuals are, if there are any, who are willing to be taxed for the sake of voting, we can have no legal knowledge that any particular individual consents to be taxed for the sake of voting, or consequently consents to support the Constitution. 5. At nearly all elections, votes are given for various candidates for the same office. Successful candidates cannot properly be said to have voted to sustain the Constitution. They may, with more reason, be supposed to have voted not to support the Constitution, but especially to prevent the tyranny which they anticipate the successful candidate intends to practice upon them on the color of the Constitution, and thereby may reasonably be supposed to have voted against the Constitution itself. This supposition is the more reasonable, inasmuch as such voting is the only mode allowed to them of expressing their dissent to the Constitution. 6. Many votes are usually given for the candidates who have no prospect of success. Those who give such votes may reasonably be supposed to have voted as they did, with a special intention not to support, but to obstruct the execution of the Constitution, and therefore against the Constitution itself. 
seven. As all the different votes are given secretly by secret ballot, there is no legal means of knowing from the votes themselves who votes for and who against the Constitution. Therefore, voting affords no legal evidence that any particular individual supports the Constitution. And where there can be no legal evidence that any particular individual supports the Constitution, it cannot legally be said that anybody supports it. It is clearly impossible to have any legal proof of the intentions of large numbers of men where there can be no legal proof of the intentions of any particular one of them. 8. There can be no legal proof of any man's intentions in voting. We can only conjecture them. As a conjecture, it is probable that a very large proportion of those who vote do so on this principle, that is to say, that if, by voting, they could but get the government into their own hands, or that of their friends, and use its powers against their opponents, they would then willingly support the Constitution. But if their opponents are to have the power and use it against them, then they would not willingly support the Constitution. In short, men's voluntary support of the Constitution is doubtless, in most cases, wholly contingent upon the question whether, by means of the Constitution, they can make themselves masters or are to be made slaves. Such contingent consent as that is, in law and reason, no consent at all. 9. As everybody who supports the Constitution by voting, if there are or any such, does so secretly by secret ballot, and in a way to avoid all personal responsibility for the act of his agents or representatives, it cannot legally or reasonably be said that anybody at all supports the Constitution by voting. No man can reasonably or legally be said to do such a thing as to assent to or support the Constitution unless he does it openly and in a way to make himself personally responsible for the acts of his agents, so long as they act in the limits of the power he delegates to them. 10. As all voting is secret by secret ballot, and as all secret governments are necessarily only secret bands of robbers, tyrants, and murderers, the general fact that our government is practically carried on by means of such voting only proves that there is among us a secret band of robbers, tyrants, and murderers whose purpose is to rob, enslave, and, so far as necessary to accomplish their purposes, murder the rest of the people. The simple fact of the existence of such a band does nothing towards proving that the people of the United States or any one of them voluntarily supports the Constitution. For all the reasons that have now been given, voting furnishes no legal evidence as to who the particular individuals are, if there are any, who voluntarily support the Constitution. It therefore furnishes no legal evidence that anybody supports it voluntarily. So far, therefore, as voting is concerned, the Constitution, legally speaking, has no supporters at all. The ostensible supporters of the Constitution, like the ostensible supporters of most other governments, are made up of three classes, that is to say, one, knaves who see in the government an instrument which they can use for their own aggrandizement and wealth. Two, dupes, a large class, no doubt, each of whom, because he is allowed one voice out of millions in deciding what he may do with his own person and his own property, and because he is permitted to have the same voice in robbing, enslaving, and murdering others that others have in robbing, enslaving, and murdering himself, is stupid enough to imagine that he's a free man, a sovereign, that this is a free government, a government of equal rights, the best government on earth, and such like absurdities. 3. A class who have some appreciation of the evils of government, but either do not see how to get rid of them, or do not choose to so far sacrifice their private interests as to give themselves seriously and earnestly to the work of making a change. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 3. Payment of taxes, being compulsory, of course furnishes no evidence that any one voluntarily supports the Constitution. 1. It is true that the theory of our Constitution is that all taxes are paid voluntarily that our government is a mutual insurance company voluntarily entered into by the people with each other, that each man makes a free and purely voluntary contract with all others who are parties to the Constitution, to pay so much money for so much protection, the same as he does with any other insurance company. 
and that he's just as free not to be protected and not to pay tax as he is to pay a tax and be protected. But this theory of our government is wholly different from the practical fact. The fact is that the government, like a highwayman, says to a man, your money or your life. And many, if not most, taxes are paid under the compulsion of that threat. The government does not indeed waylay a man in a lonely place, spring upon him from the roadside, and holding a pistol to his head proceed to rifle his pockets. But the robbery is nonetheless a robbery on that account, and is far more dastardly and shameful. The highwayman takes solely upon himself the responsibility, danger, and crime of his own act. He does not pretend that he has any rightful claim to your money, or that he intends to use it for your own benefit. He does not pretend to be anything but a robber. He has not required impudence enough to profess to be merely a protector, and that he takes men's money against their will merely to enable him to protect those infatuated travelers who feel perfectly able to protect themselves or who do not appreciate his peculiar system of protection. He is too sensible a man to make such professions as these. Furthermore, having taken your money, he leaves you as you wish him to do. He does not persist in following you on the road against your will, assuming to be your rightful sovereign on account of the protection he has forged you. He does not keep protecting you by commanding you to bow down and serve him, by requiring you to do this and forbidding you to do that, by robbing you of more money as often as, he's, as he finds it for his interest or pleasure to do so, and by branding you as a rebel, a traitor, or an enemy to your country, and shooting you down without mercy if you dispute his authority or resist his demands. He is too much of a gentleman to be guilty of such impostures and insults and villainies as these. In short, he does not, in addition to robbing you, attempt to make you either his dupe or his slave. The proceedings of those robbers and murderers who call themselves the government are directly the opposite of these of the single highwaymen. In the first place, they do not, like him, make themselves individually known, or, consequently, take upon themselves personally the responsibility of their acts. On the contrary, they secretly, by secret ballot, designate some one of their number to commit the robbery in their behalf, while they keep themselves practically concealed. They say to the person thus designated, Go to A and B and say to him that the government has need of money to meet the expenses of protecting him and his property. If he presumes to say that he has never contracted with us to protect him and that he wants none of our protection, say to him that that is our business and not his. That we choose to protect him whether he desires us to do so or not, and that we demand pay too for protecting him. If he dares to inquire who the individuals are, who have thus taken upon themselves the title of the government, and who assume to protect him and demand payment of him, without his having ever made any contract with them, say to him that that too is our business, and not his, that we do not choose to make ourselves individually known to him, that we have secretly by secret ballot appointed you, our agent, to give him notice of our demands, and, if he complies with them, to give him in our name, a receipt that will protect him against any similar demand for the present year. If he refuses to comply, seize and sell enough of his property to pay not only our demands, but all of your own expenses and trouble beside. If he resists the seizure of his property, call upon the bystanders to help you. Doubtless some of them will prove to be members of our band. If in defending his property he should kill any of our band who are assisting you, capture him at all hazards, charge him in one of our courts with murder, convict him and hang him. If he should call upon his neighbors or any others who, like him, may be disposed to resist our demands, and they should come in large numbers to his assistance, cry out that they are all rebels and traitors, that our country is in danger. Call upon the commander of our hired murderers. Tell him to quell the rebellion and save the country, cost what it may. Tell him to kill all who resist, though they should be hundreds of thousands. 
and thus strike terror into all others similarly disposed. See that the work of murder is thoroughly done, that we may have no further trouble of this kind hereafter. When these traitors shall have thus been taught our strength and our determination, they will be good and loyal citizens for many years, and pay their taxes without a why or a wherefore. It is under such compulsion as this that taxes, so-called, are paid. And how much proof the payment of taxes affords that the people consent to support the government, it needs a further argument to show. 2. Still another reason why the payment of taxes applies implies no consent or pledge to support the government is that the taxpayer does not know and has no means of knowing who the particular individuals are who compose the government. To him, the government is a myth, an abstraction, an incorporality, with which he can make no contract and to which he can give no consent and make no pledge. He knows it only through its pretended agents. The government itself he never sees. He knows indeed by common report that certain persons of a certain age are permitted to vote, and thus to make themselves parts of, or, if they choose, opponents of, the government for the time being. But who of them do thus vote, and especially how each one votes, whether so as to aid or oppose the government, he does not know. The voting being all done secretly by secret ballot. Who, therefore, practically composed the government for the time being, he has no means of knowing. Of course, he can make no contract with them, give them no consent, and make them no pledge. Of necessity, therefore, his paying taxes to them implies, on his part, no contract, consent, or pledge to support them, that is, to support the government or the Constitution. 3. Not knowing who the particular individuals are who call themselves the government, the taxpayer does not know whom he pays his taxes to. All he knows is that a man comes to him representing himself to be an agent of the government, that is, the agent of a secret band of robbers and murderers who have taken to themselves the title of the government, and have determined to kill everybody who refuses to give them whatever money they demand. To save his life, he gives up his money to this agent. But as this agent does not make his principles individually known to the taxpayer, the latter, after he has given up his money, knows no more who the government, that is, who, are the, who were the robbers, than he did before. To say, therefore, that by giving up his money to their agent, he entered into a voluntary contract with them, that he pledges himself to obey them, to support them, and to give them whatever money they should demand of him in the future is simply ridiculous. 4. All political power, as it is called, rests practically upon this matter of money. Any number of scoundrels, having money enough to start with, can establish themselves as a government. Because with money they can hire soldiers, and with soldiers extort more money, and also compel general obedience to their will. It is with government, as Caesar said it was in war that money and soldiers mutually support each other, that with money he could hire soldiers, and with soldiers extort money. So these villains, who call themselves governments, well understand that their power rests primarily upon money. With money they can hire soldiers, and with soldiers extort money. And, when their authority is denied, the first use they always make of money is to hire soldiers to kill or subdue all who refuse them more money. For this reason, whoever desires liberty should understand these vital facts. That is to say, one, that every man who puts money into the hands of a government, so-called, puts into his hands a sword which will be used against himself to extort more money from him and also to keep him in subjection to its arbitrary will. Two, that those who will take his money without his consent in the first place will use it for his further robbery and enslavement if he presumes to resist their demands in the future. Three, that it is a perfect absurdity to suppose that any body of men would ever take a man's money without his consent for any such object as they profess to take it for, that is to say, that of protecting him. For why should they wish to protect him if he does not wish them to do so? 
To suppose that they would do so is just as absurd as it would be to suppose that they would take his money without his consent for the purpose of buying food or clothing for him when he did not want it. 4. If a man wants protection, he is competent to make his own bargains for it, and nobody has any occasion to rob him in order to protect him against his will. 5. That the only security men can have for their political liberty consists in their keeping their money in their own pockets until they have assurances perfectly satisfactory to themselves that it will be used as they wish it to be used for their benefit and not for their injury. 6. That no government so-called can reasonably be trusted for a moment or reasonably be supposed to have honest purposes in view any longer than it depends wholly upon voluntary support. These facts are, so, are all so vital and so self-evident that it cannot reasonably be supposed that anyone will voluntarily pay money to a government for the purpose of securing its protection unless he first makes an explicit and purely voluntary contract with it for the, that purpose. It is perfectly evident, therefore, that neither such voting nor such payment of taxes as usually takes place proves anybody's consent or obligation to support the Constitution. Consequently, we have no evidence at all that the Constitution is binding upon anybody, or that anybody is under any contract or obligation whatever to support it. And nobody is under any obligation to support it. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 4. The Constitution not only binds nobody now, but it never did bind anybody. And never bound anybody, because it was never agreed to by anybody in such a manner as to make it, on general principles of law and reason, binding upon him. It is a general principle of law and reason that a written instrument binds no one until he has signed it. This principle is so inflexible a one that even though a man is unable to write his name, he must still make his mark before he is bound by a written contract. This custom was established ages ago, when few men could write their names. When a clerk, that is, a man who could write, was so rare and valuable a person that even if he were guilty of high crimes, he was entitled to pardon, on the ground that the public could not afford to lose his services. Even at that time, a written contract must be signed, and men who could not write either made their mark or signed their contracts by stamping their seals upon wax affixed to the parchment on which their contracts were written. Hence the custom of affixing seals that has continued to this time. The law holds, and reason declares, that if a written instrument is not signed, the presumption must be that the party to be bound by it did not choose to sign it, or to bind himself by it. And law and reason both give him until the last moment in which to decide whether he will sign it or not. Neither law nor reason requires or expects a man to agree to an instrument until it is written. For until it is written, he cannot know its precise legal meaning. And when it is written, and he has had the opportunity to satisfy himself of the precise legal meaning, he is then expected to decide, and not before, whether he will agree to it or not. And if he do not then sign it, his reason is supposed to be that he does not choose to enter into such a contract. The fact that the instrument was written for him to sign, or with the hope that he would sign it, goes for nothing. Where would the end of fraud in litigation if one party could bring into court a written instrument without any signature and claim to have it enforced upon the ground that it was written for another man to sign, that this other man had promised to sign it, that he ought to have signed it, that he had the opportunity to sign it, if he would? but that he had refused or neglected to do so. Yet, that is the most that could ever be said of the Constitution. The very men who drafted it never signed it in any way to bind themselves by it as a contract, and not one of them probably ever would have signed it in any way to bind himself by it as a contract. Yet the very judges who professed to derive all their authority from the Constitution, from an instrument that nobody ever signed, would spurn any other instrument not signed that should be brought 
before them for adjudication. Moreover, a written instrument must, in law and reason, not only be signed, but must also be delivered to the party or to someone for him. The signing is of no effect unless the instrument be also delivered. And a party is at perfect liberty to refuse to deliver a written instrument after he has signed it. He is as free to refuse to deliver it as he is to refuse to sign it. The Constitution was not only never signed by anybody, but it was never delivered by anybody or to anybody's agent or attorney. It can therefore be of no more validity as a contract than any other instrument that was never signed or delivered. By Sandra Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 5. As further evidence of the general sense of mankind, as to the practical necessity there is that all men's important contracts, especially those of a permanent nature, should be both written and signed, the following facts are pertinent. For nearly 200 years, that is, since 1677, there has been on the Statute Book of England, and the same in substance, if not precisely in letter, has been reenacted, and is now in force, in nearly or quite all the states of this Union, a statute. The general object of which is to declare that no action shall be brought to enforce contracts of the more important class unless they are put in writing and signed by the parties to be held chargeable upon them. The principle of the statute, be it observed, is not merely that written contracts shall be signed, but also that all contracts, except those specially exempted, generally those that are for small amounts and are to remain in force but a short time, shall be both written and signed. The reason of the statute on this point is that it is now so easy to think for men to put their contracts in writing and sign them, and their failure to do so opens the door to so much doubt, fraud, and litigation, that men who neglect to have their contracts of any considerable importance, written and signed, ought not to have the benefit of courts of justice to enforce them. And this reason is a wise one, and that experience has confirmed its wisdom and necessity is demonstrated by the fact that it has been acted upon in England for nearly 200 years, and has been so nearly universally adopted in this country and that nobody thinks of repealing it. We all know, too, how careful most men are to have their contracts written and signed, even when the statute does not require it. For example, most men, if they have money due them, of no larger amount than 5 or $10, are careful to take a note for it. If they buy even a small bill of goods, paying for it at the time of delivery, they take a receipted bill for it. If they pay a small balance of a book account or any other small debt previously contracted, they take a written receipt for it. Furthermore, the law everywhere, probably, in our country, as well as in England, requires that a large class of contracts, such as wills, deeds, etc., shall not only be written and signed, but also sealed, witnessed, and acknowledged. And in the case of married women conveying their rights in real estate, the law, in many states, requires that the women shall be examined separate and apart from their husbands, and declare that they sign their contracts free of any fear or compulsion of their husbands. Such are some of the precautions which the laws require and which individuals, from motives of common prudence, even in cases not required by law, take to put their contracts in writing and have them signed, and to guard against all uncertainties and controversies in regard to their meaning and validity. And yet, we have what purports, or professes, or is claimed to be a contract, the Constitution, made 80 years ago by men who are now all dead, and who never had any power to bind us but which, it is claimed, has nevertheless bound three generations of men, consisting of many millions, and which, it is claimed, will be binding upon all the millions that are to come, but which nobody ever signed, sealed, delivered, witnessed, or acknowledged, and which few persons, compared with the whole number that are claimed to be bound by it, have ever read, or even seen, or ever will read or see. And of those who have ever read it, or ever will read it, 
scarcely any two, perhaps no two, have ever agreed or ever will agree as to what it means. Moreover, this supposed contract, which would not be received in any court of justice sitting under its authority, if offered to prove a debt of $5, owing by one man to another, is one by which, as it is generally interpreted by those who pretend to administer it, all men, women, and children throughout the country and through all time surrender not only all their property, but also their liberties and even lives into the hands of men who by this supposed contract are expressly made wholly irresponsible for their disposal of them. And we are so insane or so wicked as to destroy property and lives without limit in fighting to compel men to fulfill a supposed contract, which, inasmuch as it has never been signed by anybody, is on general principles of law and reason, such principles as we are all governed by in regard to other contracts, the merest waste paper, binding upon nobody, fit only to be thrown into the fire, or, if preserved, preserved only to serve as a witness and a warning of the folly and wickedness of mankind. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 6. It is no exaggeration, but a literal truth, to say that, by the Constitution, not as I interpret it, but as it is interpreted by those who pretend to administer it, the properties, liberties, and lives of the entire people of the United States are surrendered unreservedly into the hands of men who, it is provided by the Constitution itself, shall never be questioned as to any disposal they make of them. Thus the Constitution, Article 1, Section 6, provides that for any speech or debate or vote in either House, they, the senators and representatives, shall not be questioned in any other place. The whole lawmaking power is given to these senators and representatives when acting by a two-thirds vote. And this provision protects them from all responsibility for the laws they make. The Constitution also enables them to secure the execution of all their laws by giving them power to withhold the salaries of and to impeach and remove all judicial and executive officers who refuse to execute them. Thus, the whole power of the government is in their hands, and they are made utterly irresponsible for the use they make of it. What is this but absolute irresponsible power? It is no answer to this view of the case to say that these men are under oath to use their power only within certain limits. For what care they, or what should they care, for oaths or limits, when it is expressly provided by the Constitution itself that they shall never be questioned or held to any responsibility whatever for violating their oaths or transgressing those limits? Neither is it any answer to this view of the case to say that the particular individuals holding this power can be changed once in two or six years. For the power of each set of men is absolute during the term for which they hold it. And when they can hold it no longer, they are su succeeded by men whose powers will be equally absolute and irresponsible. And neither is it any answer to this view of the case to say that the men holding this absolute irresponsible power must be men chosen by the people or portions of them to hold it. A man is nonetheless a slave because he is allowed to choose a new master once in a term of years. Neither are people any less slaves because permitted periodically to choose new masters. What makes them slaves is the fact that they are now, and are always hereafter to be, in the hands of men whose power over them is, and always will be, absolute and irresponsible. Of what appreciable value is it to any man, as an individual, that he is allowed a voice in choosing these public masters? His voice is only one of several millions. See, the right of absolute and irresponsible dominion is the right of property, and the right of property is the right of absolute irresponsible dominion. The two are identical, the one necessarily implying the other. Neither can exist without the other. 
If, therefore, Congress have that absolute and irresponsible lawmaking power, which the Constitution, according to their interpretation of it, gives them, it can only be because they own us as property. If they own us as property, they are our masters, and their will is our law. If they do not own us as property, they are not our masters, and their will, as such, is of no authority over us. But these men who claim and exercise this absolute and irresponsible dominion over us dare not be consistent and claim either to be our masters or to own us as property. They say that they are only our servants, agents, attorneys, and representatives. But this declaration involves an absurdity, a contradiction. No man can be my servant, agent, attorney, or representative and be, at the same time, uncontrollable by me and irresponsible to me for his acts. It is of no importance that I appointed him and put all power into his hands if I made him uncontrollable by me and irresponsible to me, he is no longer my servant, agent, attorney, or representative. If I gave him absolute irresponsible power over my property, I gave him the property. If I gave him absolute irresponsible power over myself, I made him my master and gave myself to him as a slave. And it is of no importance whether I called him master or servant, agent or owner. The only question is, what power did I put into his hands? Was it an absolute and irresponsible one, or a limited and responsible one? For still another reason, they are neither our agents, servants, attorneys, nor representatives. And, for that, and that reason is that we do not make ourselves responsible for their acts. If a man is my servant, agent, or attorney, I necessarily make myself responsible for all his acts done within the limits of the power I have entrusted to him. If I have entrusted him as my agent, with either absolute power or any power at all, over the persons or property of other men other than myself, I thereby necessarily make myself responsible to those other persons for any injuries he may do to them so long as he acts within the limits of the power I have granted him. But no individual who may be injured in his person or property by acts of Congress can come to the individual electors and hold them responsible for these acts of their so-called agents or representatives. This fact proves that these pretended agents of the people, of everybody, are really the agents of nobody. If then, nobody is individually responsible for the acts of Congress, the members of Congress are nobody's agents. And if they are nobody's agents, they are themselves individually responsible for their own acts, and for the acts of all whom they employ. And the authority they are exercising is simply their own individual authority. And, by the law of nature, the highest of all laws, anybody injured by their acts, anybody who is deprived by them, of his property or his liberty, has the same right to hold him individually responsible that he has to hold any other trespasser individually responsible. He has the same right to resist them and their agents that he has to resist any other trespassers. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 7. It is plain, then, that on general principles of law and reason, such principles as we all act upon in courts of justice and in common life, the Constitution is no contract that it binds nobody, and never did bind anybody, and that all those who pretend to act by its authority are really acting without any legitimate authority at all, that on general principles of law and reason, they are mere usurpers, and that everybody not only has the right, but is morally bound to treat them as such. If the people of this country wish to maintain such a government as the Constitution describes, there is no reason in the world why they should not sign the instrument itself, and thus make known their wishes in an open, authentic manner in such manner as the common sense and experience of mankind have shown to be reasonable and necessary in such cases, and in such manner as to make themselves, as they ought to do, individually responsible for the acts of the government. But the people have never been asked to sign it, 
And the only reason why they have never been asked to sign it has been that it has been known that they never would sign it, that they were neither such fools nor nays as they must needs have been to be willing to sign it, that, at least as it has been practically interpreted, it is not what any sensible and honest man wants for himself, nor such as he has any right to impose upon others. It is, to all moral intents and purposes, as destitute of obligation as the compacts which robbers and thieves and pirates enter into with each other but never sign. If any considerable number of the people believe the Constitution to be good, why do they not sign it themselves and make laws for and administer them upon each other, leaving all other persons who do not interfere with them in peace? Until they have tried the experiment for themselves, how can they have the face to impose the Constitution upon or even to recommend it to others? Plainly the reason for such absurd and inconsistent conduct is that they want the Constitution not solely for any honest or legitimate use it can be of to themselves or others, but for the dishonest and illegitimate power it gives them over the persons and properties of others. But for this latter reason, and all their eulogiums on the Constitution, all their exhortations and all their expenditures of money and blood to sustain it would be wanting. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 8. The Constitution itself, then, being of no authority, on what authority does our government practically rest? On what ground can those who pretend to administer it claim the right to seize men's property, to restrain them of their natural liberty of action, industry and trade, and to kill all who deny their authority to dispose of men's properties, liberties, and lives at their pleasure or discretion? The most they can say in answer to this question is that some half, two-thirds, or three-fourths of the male adults of the country have a tacit understanding they will maintain a government under the Constitution, that they will select by ballot the persons to administer it, and that those persons who may receive a majority or a plurality of their ballots shall act as their representatives and administer the Constitution in their name and by their authority. But this tacit understanding, admitting it to exist, cannot at all justify the conclusion drawn from it. A tacit understanding between A, B, and C that they will, by ballot, deputize D as their agent to deprive me of my property, liberty, or life cannot at all authorize D to do so. He is nonetheless a robber, tyrant, and murderer, because he claims to act as their agent than he would be if he avowedly acted on his own responsibility alone. Neither am I bound to recognize him as their agent, nor can he legitimately claim to be their agent when he brings no written authority from them accrediting him as such. I am under no obligation to take his word as to who his principles may be, or whether he has any. Bringing no credentials, I have a right to say he has no such authority even as he claims to have, and that he is therefore intending to rob, enslave, or murder me on his own account. This tacit understanding, therefore, among the voters of the country amounts to nothing as an authority to their agents. Neither do the ballots by which they select their agents avail any more than does their tacit understanding, for their ballots are given in secret, and therefore in a way to avoid any personal responsibility for the acts of their agents. No body of men can be said to authorize a man to act as their agent to the injury of a third person unless they do it in so open and authentic a manner as to make themselves personally responsible for his acts. None of the voters in this country appoint their political agents in any open, authentic manner, or in any manner to make themselves responsible for their acts. Therefore, these pretended agents cannot legitimately claim to really be agents. Somebody must be responsible for the acts of these pretended agents, and if they cannot show any open and authentic credentials from their principles, they cannot in law or reason be said to have any principles. The maxim applies here. That which does not appear does not exist. If they can show no principles, they have none. But even these pretended agents do not themselves know who their pretended principles are. These latter act in secret, 
for acting by secret ballot is acting in secret as much as if they were to meet in secret conclave in the darkness of the night. And they are personally as much unknown to the agents they select as they are to others. No pretended agent, therefore, can ever know by whose ballot he is selected, or consequently who his real principles are. Not knowing who his principles are, he has no right to say he has any. He can at most say only that he is the agent of a secret band of robbers and murderers who were bind by that faith which prevails among confederates in crime, to stand by him if his acts, done in their name, shall be resisted. Men honestly engaged in attempting to establish justice in the world have no occasion to thus act in secret, or to appoint agents to do acts by which they, the principals, are not willing to be responsible. The secret ballot makes a secret government, and a secret government is a secret band of robbers and murderers. Open despotism is better than this. The single despot stands out in the face of all men and says, I am the state. My will is law. I am your master. I take the responsibility of my acts. The only arbiter I acknowledge is the sword. If anyone denies my right, let him try conclusions with me. But a secret government is little less than a government of assassins. Under it, a man knows not who his tyrants are, until they have struck, and perhaps not then. He may guess beforehand as to some of his immediate neighbors, but he really knows nothing. The man to whom he would most naturally fly for protection may prove an enemy when the trial comes. This is the kind of government we have, and is the only one we are likely to have until men are ready to say. We will consent to no constitution, except such and one as we are neither ashamed nor afraid to sign, and we will authorize no government to do anything in our name which we are not willing to be personally responsible for. By Sander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 9. What is the motive to the secret ballot? This and only this. Like other confederates in crime, those who use it are not friends, but enemies, and they are afraid to be known and to have their individual doings known even to each other. They can contrive to bring about a sufficient understanding to enable them to act in concert against other persons. But beyond this, they have no confidence and no friendship among themselves. In fact, they are engaged quite as much in schemes for plundering each other as in plundering those who are not of them. And it is perfectly well understood among them that the strongest party among them will, in certain contingencies, murder each other by the hundreds of thousands, as they lately did do, to accomplish their purposes against each other. Hence they dare not to be known, and have their individual doings known even to each other. And this is avowedly the only reason for the ballot, for a secret government, a government by secret bands of robbers and murderers. And we are insane enough to call this liberty? To be a member of this secret band of robbers and murderers is esteemed a privilege and an honor? Without this privilege a man is considered a slave, but with it a free man? With it he is considered a free man because he has the same power to secretly, by secret ballot, procure the robbery, enslavement, and murder of another man, and that other man has to procure his robbery, enslavement, and murder? And this they call equal rights? If any number of men, many or few, claim the right to govern the people of this country, let them make and sign an open compact with each other to do so. Let them thus make themselves individually known to those whom they propose to govern, and let them thus openly take the legitimate responsibility of their acts. How many of those who now support the Constitution will ever do this? How many will ever dare openly proclaim their right to govern, or take the legitimate responsibility of their acts? Not one. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 10. It is obvious that, on general principles of law and reason, there exists no such thing as a government created by or resting upon any consent, compact, or agreement of the people of the United States with each other, that the only visible, tangible, responsible government that exists is that of a few individuals only, 
who act in concert and call themselves by the several names of senators, representatives, presidents, judges, marshals, treasurers, collectors, generals, colonels, captains, etc., etc. On general principles of law and reason, it is of no importance whatever that these few individuals profess to be the agents and representatives of the people of the United States. Since they can show no credentials from the people themselves, they were never appointed as agents or representatives in any open, authentic manner. They do not themselves know and have no means of knowing and cannot prove who their principles, as they call them, are individually, and consequently cannot in law or reason be said to have any principles at all. It is obvious, too, that if these alleged principles ever did appoint these pretended agents or representatives, they appointed them secretly, by secret ballot, and in a way to avoid all personal responsibility for their acts. That, at most, these alleged principles put these pretended agents forward for the most criminal purposes, that is to say, to plunder the people of their property and restrain them of their liberty. And that the only authority that these alleged principles have for so doing is simply a tacit understanding among themselves that they will imprison, shoot, or hang every man who resists the exactions and restraints which their agents or representatives may impose upon them. Thus, it is obvious that the only visible, tangible government we have is made up of these professed agents or representatives of the secret band of robbers and murderers who, to cover up or gloss over their robberies and murders, have taken to themselves the title of the people of the United States, and who, on the pretense of being the people of the United States, assert their right to subject to their dominion and to control and dispose of, at their pleasure, all property and persons found in the United States. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 11. On general principles of law and reason, the oaths which these pretended agents of the people take to support the Constitution are of no validity or obligation. And why? For this, if for no other reason, that they are given to nobody. There is no privity, as the lawyers say, that is no mutual recognition, consent, and agreement between those who take these oaths and any other persons. If I go upon Boston Common, and in the presence of a hundred thousand people, men, women, and children, with whom I have no contract on the subject, take an oath that I will enforce upon them the law of Moses, of Lycurgus, of Solon, of Justinian, or of Alfred, that oath is, on general principles of law and reason, of no obligation. It is of no obligation not merely because it is intrinsically a criminal one, but also because it is given to nobody, and consequently pledges my faith to nobody. It is merely given to the winds. It would not alter the case at all to say that among these hundred thousand persons, in whose presence the oath was taken, there were two, three, or five thousand male adults who had secretly, by secret ballot, and in a way to avoid making themselves individually known to me, or to the remainder of the hundred thousand, designated me secretly and in a manner to prevent my knowing them individually, prevents all privity between them and me, and consequently makes it impossible that there could be any contract or pledge of faith on my part towards them, for it is impossible that I can pledge my faith in any legal sense to a man whom I neither know nor have any means of knowing individually. So far as I am concerned, then, these two, three, or five thousand persons are a secret band of robbers and murderers, who have secretly, and in a way to save themselves from all responsibility for my acts, designated me as their agent, and have, through some other agent or pretended agent, made their wishes known to me. But being nevertheless individually unknown to me, and having no open, authentic contract with me, my oath is, on general principles of law and reason, of no validity as a pledge of faith to them. And being no pledge of faith to them, it is no pledge of faith to anybody. It is mere idle wind. At most, it is only a pledge of faith to an unknown band of robbers and murderers, whose instrument for plundering and murdering other people I thus publicly confess myself to be. 
and it has no other obligation than a similar oath given to any other unknown body of pirates, robbers, and murderers. For these reasons, the oaths taken by members of Congress to support the Constitution are, on general principles of law and reason, of no validity. They are not only criminal in themselves and therefore void, but they are also void for the further reason that they are given to nobody. It cannot be said that in any legitimate or legal sense they are given to the people of the United States, because neither the whole nor any large proportion of the whole people of the United States ever either openly or secretly appointed or designated these men as their agents to carry the Constitution into effect. The great body of the people, that is, men, women, and children, were never asked or even permitted to signify in any formal manner, either openly or secretly, their choice or wish on the subject. The most that these members of Congress can say in favor of their appointment is simply this, each one can say for himself. I have evidence satisfactory to myself that there exists scattered throughout the country a band of men having a tacit understanding with each other and calling themselves the people of the United States whose general purposes are to control and plunder each other and all other persons in the country, and, so far as they can, even in neighboring countries, and to kill every man who shall attempt to defend his person and property against their schemes of plunder and dominion. Who these men are individually, I have no certain means of knowing, for they sign no papers and give no open, authentic evidence of their individual membership. They are not known individually even to each other. They are apparently as much afraid of being individually known to each other as of being known to other persons. Hence, they ordinarily have no mode either of exercising or of making known their individual membership, otherwise than by giving their votes secretly for certain agents to do their will. But although these men are individually unknown both to each other and to other persons, it is generally understood in the country that none but male persons of the age of 21 years and upwards can be members. It is also generally understood that all male persons born in the country have in certain complexions and in some localities certain amounts of property and in certain cases even persons of foreign birth are permitted to be members. But it appears that usually not more than one-half, two-thirds, or in some cases three-fourths of all who are thus permitted to become members of the band ever exercise or consequently prove their actual membership in the only mode in which they ordinarily can exercise or prove it. That is to say, by giving their votes secretly for the officers or agents of the band. The number of these secret votes, so far as we have any account of them, varies greatly from year to year, thus tending to prove that the band, instead of being a permanent organization, is merely pro tempore fair, with those who choose to act with it for the time being. The gross number of these secret votes, or what purports to be their gross number in different localities, is occasionally published. Whether these reports are accurate or not, we have no means of knowing. It is generally supposed that great frauds are often committed in depositing them. They are understood to be received and counted by certain men, who were themselves appointed for that purpose by the same secret process by which all other officers and agents of the band are selected. According to the reports of these receivers of votes, for whose accuracy or honesty, however, I cannot vouch, and according to my best knowledge of the whole number of male persons in my district who, it is supposed, were permitted to vote, it would appear that one-half, two-thirds, or three-fourths actually did vote. Who the men were individually who cast these votes, I have no knowledge, for the whole thing was done secretly. But of the secret votes, thus given for what they call a member of Congress, the receivers reported that I had a majority, or at least a larger number than any other one person. And it is only by virtue of such a designation that I am now here to act in concert with other persons similarly selected in other parts of the country. It is understood among those who sent me here that all the persons so selected will, on coming together at the city of Washington, take an oath in each other's presence to support the Constitution of the United States. By this is meant a certain paper that was drawn up 80 years ago. It was never signed by anybody and apparently has no obligation and never had any obligation as a contract. 
In fact, few persons ever read it, and doubtless much the largest number of those who voted for me and the others never even saw it, or now pretend to know what it means. Nevertheless, it is often spoken of in the country as the Constitution of the United States. And for some reason or another, the men who sent me here seem to expect that I, and all with whom I act, will swear to carry this Constitution into effect. I am therefore ready to take this oath, and to cooperate with all others similarly selected who are ready to take the same oath. This is the most that any member of Congress can say in proof that he has any constituency, that he represents anybody, that his oath to support the Constitution is given to anybody or pledges his faith to anybody. He has no open, written, or other authentic evidence such as is required in all other cases, that he has ever appointed the agent or representative of anybody. He has no written power of attorney from any single individual. He has no such legal knowledge as is required in all other cases by which he can identify a single one of them who pretend to have appointed him to represent them. This oath professedly given to them to support the Constitution is, on general principles of law and reason, an oath given to nobody. It pledges his faith to nobody. If he fails to fulfill his oath, not a single person can come forward and say to him, you have betrayed me, or broken faith with me. No one could come forward and say to him, I appointed you my attorney to act for me. I required you to swear that, as my attorney, you would support the Constitution. You promised me that you would do so, and now you have forfeited the oath you gave to me. No single individual can say this. No open, avowed, or responsible association or body of men can come forward and say to him, we appointed you our attorney to act for us. We required you to swear that, as our attorney, you would support the Constitution. You promised us that you would do so, and now you have forfeited the oath you gave to us. No open, avowed, or responsible association or body of men can say this to him, because there is no such association or body of men in existence. If anyone should assert that there is such an association, let him prove, if he can, who compose it. Let him produce, if he can, any open, written, or other authentic contract signed or agreed to by these men, forming themselves into an association, making themselves known as such to the world, appointing him as their agent, and making themselves individually or as an association responsible for his acts done by their authority. Until all this can be shown, no one can say that in any legitimate sense there is any such association, or that he is their agent, or that he ever gave his oath to them, or ever pledged his faith to them. On general principles of law and reason, it would be a sufficient answer for him to say to all individuals and all pretended associations of individuals who should accuse him of a breach of faith to them. I never knew you. Where is your evidence that you, either individually or collectively, ever appointed me your attorney? That you ever required me to swear to you that, as your attorney, I would support the Constitution? Or that I have now broken any faith I ever pledged to you? You may or you may not be members of that secret band of robbers and murderers who act in secret, appoint their agents by a secret ballot, who keep themselves individually unknown even to the agents they thus appoint, and who, therefore, cannot claim that they have any agents, or that any of their pretended agents ever gave his oath or pledged his faith to them. I repudiate you altogether. My oath was given to others, with whom you have nothing to do. Or it was idle wind, given only to the idle winds. Begone by Sanders Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 12. For the same reasons, the oaths of all other pretended agents of the secret band of robbers and murderers are, on general principles of law and reason, equally destitute of obligation. They are given to nobody, but only to the winds. The oaths of the tax gatherers and treasurers of the band are, on general principles of law and reason, of no validity. If any tax gatherer, for example, should put money he receives into his own pocket and refuse to part with it, the members of this band could not say to him, you collected that money as our agent and for our uses and you swore to pay it over to us or to those we should appoint to receive it. You have betrayed us and broken faith with us. 
It would be a sufficient answer for him to say to them, I never knew you. You never made yourselves individually known to me. I never gave my oath to you as individuals. You may or may not be members of that secret band who appoint agents to rob and murder other people, but who are cautious not to make themselves individually known either to such agents or to those whom their agents are commissioned to rob. If you are members of that band, you have given me no proof that you ever commissioned me to rob others for your benefit. I never knew you, as individuals, and of course, never promised you that I would pay over to you the proceeds of my robberies. I committed my robberies on my own account and for my own profit. If you thought I was fool enough to allow you to keep yourselves concealed and use me as your tool for robbing other persons, or that I would take all the personal risk for the robberies and pay over the proceeds to you, you are particularly simple. As I took all the risk of my robberies, I proposed to take all the profits. Be gone. You are fools as well as villains. If I gave my oath to anybody, I gave it to other persons than you. But I really gave it to nobody. I only gave it to the winds. It answered my purposes at the time. It enabled me to get the money I was after, and now I propose to keep it. If you expected me to pay it over to you, you relied only upon that honor that is said to prevail among thieves. You now understand that is a very poor reliance. I trust you may become wise enough to never rely upon it again. If I have any duty in the matter, it is to give back the money to those whom I took it, not to pay it over to such villains such as you. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 13. On general principles of law and reason, the oaths which foreigners take on coming here and being naturalized, as it is called, are of no validity. They are necessarily given to nobody, because there is no open, authentic association to which they can join themselves or to whom, as individuals, they can pledge their faith. No such association or organization as the people of the United States, having ever been formed by any open, written, authentic, or voluntary contract, there is, on general principles of law and reason, no such association or organization in existence. And all oaths that purport to be given to such an association are necessarily given only to the winds. They cannot be said to be given to any man or body of men as individuals because no man or body of men can come forward with any proof that the oaths were given to them as individuals or to any association of which they are members. To say that there is a tacit understanding